Folks, welcome back. Part two. We ran a little bit long yesterday, a lot of information about the Big Ten, Pac-12, Big 12. You have back here today, BCB and Law. We're ready to finish out the conferences, ACC and SEC. Talk about our Heisman hopefuls. Uh, talk about who we think is going to be in the college football playoff. Uh, one quick stat correction from yesterday. Uh, BCB pulled me aside, said he took a couple of Ambien during the Big 12 review, and he said, we noticed that he picked Baylor, so BCB, we're, now's your chance if you just want to switch that over to Texas. Just, again, I understand things happen, you know, whatnot, so. Yeah, no, sick and Bears. I mean, the more I thought about it, um, yeah, we're, we're going to double down on the Bears here. Uh, yeah, I – uh, I, I'm probably about to borrow money to bet Alabama minus 14 in that, that game. Um, and, and honestly, and I'm going to take some of that money that I cash in the week three, Texas is playing UTSA and, and the Roadrunners might have a game. So I don't know. Tech, eh, Texas, I don't think they're back. So again, Baylor, Baylor, big 12 champs. Larry, I, with, yeah. I, I need some correction here. So I hate, I think I said, West Virginia 5 and 0 and I need to take that back yeah. real quick cuz they're not going to go they're not going to win that game and I think they might lose to Pitt week 1 so we're rolling that all the way back I still <laughs> hate JT Daniels I hate his face his fat ass face he stinks at quarterback but I'm also going to go on BCB's side here I'm taking Baylor okay. now to win the Big 12. All right. I, that being said, went, we're talking we ACC and SEC. We're, we're past the Big 12. Fuck the both of you. Texas is back. Let's start the show. All right. First conference we're going to talk through here today, the ACC. Uh, we have obviously two divisions here, Coastal and Atlantic. Um, I'll let you guys start if you want to pick a team to go off with. Um, I will say, actually, we'll say, say real quick, I don't think Duke or Georgia Tech are going to win a game outside of when they play each other. Uh, but I just want to call that out before we get started. Okay. Let me, let me take it. I have three questions for both of you. First question, does Clemson return to form – as the elite player of the ACC, I will stop and let Bubs answer this first. Absolutely not. They have the ninth best quarterback in the ACC alone. Uh, yeah, I, man, they they had so many injuries last year. But it, it, are we going to say they're back to like that perennial national championship level, like the level that they were at when that was Trevor Lawrence and those guys, ETN? Uh, no, I don't think so. Not this year. I, th I still think they could be a really good team. They, I think they're top 15, maybe top 10 um, on their best day if they don't have injuries. But I, they're not – I don't think they're far and away the best. I'm not laying – I'm not laying less than even money on them to win the conference this year. I'll say that. I'll say okay. this. Oh, really crazy. Fun. Crazy enough that both of you say that. Love Clemson. Anger – this is an angry year. They were bad last year but they didn't lose a lot of games. This is a one-loss Clemson team. We'll get to Clemson later. No, My let's talk Clemson. Question... No, let's talk Clemson. Okay. Tell us no, what you no. got. I got a second question for you guys. Okay. 
Second question. How does Miami do under Cristobal year one? I love, love Miami. I would just wonder, how does Miami do this year? They're returning almost everybody. BCB, what do you got? Well, here's my thing. So I can understand. Yeah, I can understand Larry loving Miami and Cristobal because uh, he's a man who loves screen passes. But for somebody <laughs> who used to bet Justin Herbert and lay points with Oregon on a pretty consistent basis, if if we're like week four and Tyler Van Dyke, they've got a team like that they're ready to put away, and he's got Tyler Van Dyke out there throwing fucking screen passes and going three and out, I'm not going to take that well. But I, I think they have a chance to win a lot of games. Uh, got a chance, you know, to, to be a conference champion this year. So I'm high on him in that regard. But I'm going to say Chris Stobel's a head coach is a little overrated. So, yeah, I mean, looking at their win-loss total for the year, they're sitting at eight and a half. Uh, you know, their schedule, I don't really see anything that sticks out non-conference-wise. Uh, I guess they do go to Texas A&M. That's a pretty big one, but I think Texas a and is overrated, and Texas A&M could have a loss by that point to Appalachian State. Um, outside of that, though, really like Van Dyke. I think he's a, a great quarterback. Uh, I was huge on De'Eric King last year. Uh, that obviously didn't turn out, but once Van Dyke came in towards the later, the second half of the season, really turned it on, like Chris Ball as a coach. So, yeah, I'd say it's it's a no play for me. If anything, I'd lean over on Miami just because of Van Dyke's play. But, yeah, I, uh, I like what they got. Love it. Love to hear it, Bubs. Yeah, I've actually – go ahead. I was going to say, I've actually – I've got a, a multi-unit uh, bet on the over here on the wins oh. on the eight and a half. Hold off. Hold off on that, BCB. I got one more question. One more question before we dive into the teams. Who is the best quarterback in the ACC? It, it's a hard question. No, it's not. It, it's crazy. There's a lot of good quarterbacks. Yeah, it – and there's quarterbacks that play for bad teams that are still very good. Virginia quarter, Virginia's quarterback, excellent. Coastal plays at Virginia this year, and I know their quarterback's fucking excellent. Probably throw for fucking 600 yards during that game. But, Bubs, who is the best quarterback in the ACC? Without a doubt, Sam Hartman. We know that he's not starting the first couple games due to – we don't even know what the issue is yet, but if you want to take that into consideration that he's not playing the full year uh, right next to that Devin Leary, NC State, uh, those are my top two for the year. Uh, really love them both. Brennan Armstrong is a hard number three. I actually ranked the quarterbacks before uh, we uh, had our call here today, but yeah, Brennan Armstrong. Bumps. This fucking Iowa internet. Yeah. He's, he's out of minutes. All right. I'm... Bob's <laughs> with the Iowa internet. It's brutal. I have a guy coming on Tuesday to come fix this shit. But what I was saying, Sam Hartman one, Devin Leary two, Brennan Armstrong three, Van Dyke four. I could keep going. Ugulele's not until number nine for me in top quarterbacks. Lisa B, what what do you think? Who is who's the top guy in the ACC? Oh man, uh, so I, I would be between. Leary and Van Dyke, I think, in terms of, like, guys that you could just pick and play. Um, I mean, Hartman's a master of that system. So, I I don't know. I think the system benefits him. It, is, it makes his numbers look a lot better. Uh, 
I, I'm excited to see Phil Yurkovich again from Boston College this year. Uh, big kid, got got the ability to be a pro quarterback. So he didn't get to play too much last year. I uh, had less than a thousand yards before he injured his hands. So um, he, he's a guy. He could very well be the best quarterback in the conference by the end of the season. Um, I, again, Van Dyke, if he takes another step forward too, you can make the argument he's numero uno. I mean, I'm I'm gonna be. Bubs is gonna hate this, but. DJ's the best quarterback. That's it's wild. Actually, the kid, the fucking freshman that they have behind him is probably the best quarterback. But DJ's gonna have the best stats this year. Clemson's gonna be angry. So so let's move on. Let's go ACC. Let's let's figure out who's gonna go Clemson first. Talk Clemson. That's your your South Carolina team. Let's hear them. I mean. Shipley and DJ, so unfortunately, they're losing Venables. Venables has been the heart and soul of that defense. But, like, they're similar to Ohio State. That team's angry. That team only lost one game last year, or maybe two games. I think it's only one game. Um, But, like... They, they, I'm taking their team total over 10 and a half plus money and Clemson's going to run. Clemson runs the ACC still. I am, I'm upset and I'll talk about it later once we get to Wake Forest, but Clemson still runs. Dabo, Dabo is, Dabo is the ACC, like, unfortunately. BCB, do you want to go or do you want me to hop in here? Yeah, uh, you go ahead and hop in if you want to. I'll take it last. Yeah, so Clemson, I don't even have them finishing top three in the Atlantic, let alone the conference itself. I could name you eight other quarterbacks that are better than DJU. The one positive I will say about Clemson is if you can bunch teams together, like linebacker unit, secondary unit, offensive line, they have overall the best unit in all of college football being their defensive line maybe three first round picks alone on their defensive line, just absolute studs left and right. That could be the problem, the difference maker, you know, um, you know, I would say if this was Sam Hartman last year or Tyler Van Dyke before he got his starts in front of De'Aaron King, you know, the only thing that's working for them is that the quarterbacks that they will be playing are experienced quarterbacks with starting experience in previous years. So I think they'll be able to a little bit better manage that against Clemson Again, though, last thing I got to say is if you look at their schedule, it really all comes down to will Sam Hartman be there for week four when they go at Wake Forest? Outside of that, they go to at Boston College, which has a ton of injuries left and right, at Florida State, which that's eh, whatever, and at Notre Dame, who's incredibly overrated as well. So their, their schedule fits them. Uh, I think the big play, though, is at Wake Forest if Sam Hartman's back in time. BCB. So interesting you brought that up. So. Clemson has absolutely dominated Wake Forest uh, the last three years. So last year, uh, Clemson team that, again, you talked about the offense and DJ not being very good. They put 48 up on Wake Forest, won 48-27. Mm-hmm. 2020, uh, they beat Wake Forest in week one at Wake Forest, 37-13. to And then you go back to 2019, and they beat Wake Forest that year uh, at home, 52-3. to so I don't think they're too worried about who's playing quarterback for Wake Forest. I think Clemson's going to handle that game. 
Uh, Clemson's D line's so good that they're going to get penetration, and it ruins the timing of the of the passing offense of Wake Forest. Uh, it's not a great matchup for Wake. Um, all right, so I think there's actually a lot of arrows pointing up for Clemson this year. I'm uh, not on the win total either way. Ten and a half is not a number I play over um, for the most part. So, uh, but all right, so here's the thing: they do lose Venables. That hurts. This kid that's stepping in, Wes Goodwin, as defensive coordinator. Uh, is known in coaching circles as Weslicek is what they call him. And apparently he's a boy genius. So I'm excited to see what they can do there. Um, They lose Elliott, the offensive coordinator as well. And I'm actually going to say that's a positive. I thought the offense had gotten a little stale. I watch a lot of Clemson football and I felt like I knew what they were going to run it most of the time. So (laughs) main, main thing for them is just staying healthy. Um, I'm excited to see what the offense looks like. I heard DJ's lost some weight. I uh, have heard they're a little banged up at the wide receiver position, though. And they also had like 25 injuries uh, to the guys on the on the roster by the time the season ended last year. And for as, as bad as they were last year, they still ended the season 10 and 3. So you got a team that wasn't anywhere near as good as what people thought they were going to be. And they still found ways to win games. I like teams like that. Um, if they just get DJ to play at an average level this year, they're probably going to be in the conference championship and and contending for a a college football playoff. So again, you look at the schedule, it's not a difficult schedule. Um, they got the game at Notre Dame. They play Miami at home. Uh, so other than that, I'm not too worried about it. So we'll see what they look like week one, Georgia tech would not be surprised if Clemson is, uh, is back. All right. Well, let's stick in the Atlantic. Uh, I'm going to push a team out there. NC State, my favorite to win the Atlantic uh, on their end. You look at their schedule right off the bat, you know, we'll always start with there. They do have to go at Clemson. That'll be tough. Uh, Outside of that, at Louisville towards the end of the year, I think Malik Cunningham's a really, really good quarterback that's flying under the radar. Outside of that, they play Texas Tech as a non-conference. UConn, which is probably one of the most garbage teams in D1. This team returns 17 starters, which is the most in the Atlantic. So I think the experience is there. This is what I think they've been building up to for a while. And then, as I mentioned at the very beginning of, you know, the talk about ACC, if it's not for Sam Hartman, I think Devin Leary is the best quarterback in the ACC, hands down. He's shown what he's got, uh, proven his, his stature as NC State quarterback. So I'm all in on the Wolfpack winning the Atlantic division. I mean, that's just, it's dumb. <laughs> just dumb. I mean, they're, so their win against Clemson last year with the field goal, uh, like that was their Super Bowl. They're going to regress. Um, it's just, yeah, I mean, they, they don't matter. Clemson's all that matters. Clemson is, they're just not going to lose games. They're, they are too good uh, that, like, NC State is probably the only challenge that it's there. I wish Sam Hartman was playing because I love Sam Hartman and A.T. Perry, but they're not going to be there because they play Clemson too early. Um, yeah, no, NC State does not matter. All right, BCB. Yeah, I mean, all right, so you return 10, 10 of your 11 starters on defense. You've got Dave Dorn. Like you said, it does kind of seem like a program that's that's kind of building together. I do kind of worry that they're a little bit of a hype team here. 
Um, it seems it's one of those things everybody you get kind of likes NC State. Uh, the offensive line wasn't great last year, and they lose their best player. So we'll see how that bolds well for him here. Um, stepping forward, again, got to protect Devin Leary. If you're going to overcome Clemson, you've got to be strong up front or hope Clemson has a bunch of injuries again. So if their offensive line takes a step forward, then that game where they play at Clemson uh, to start October is going to be a pretty important game. Uh, we'll, we'll ultimately see if, if Clemson's not up to par, then this is probably the logical choice to knock them off. All right. All right. Uh, next, uh, I, I'd like to pick the next team and then I'll really open it up. Uh, Wake Forest. I mean, we've been talking about them. Obviously the non-medical or medical issue with Sam Hartman's a big deal, but you look again, they got Clemson week four. If I, I'm, we'll have to mark this one on the calendar because you two assholes are all about fucking Clemson and giving me stats about past history. But I'll tell you what, you got Sam Hartman. He has his top target back, A.T. Perry. Uh, they get to play at Vanderbilt. I mean, they're at schedule. They're away schedule at Vanderbilt. That's a win at Florida State. Again, iffy, don't know, expect. At Louisville, a little scary. At NC State, a little scary. But then at Duke. I mean, you look at their home games. Every game is winnable here. Uh, quick little fun stat for you. The Demon Deacons are 19-2 and two against the spread, against 500 or fewer foes uh, coming off consecutive losses. So I don't really see consecutive losses there. Maybe Clemson, Florida State. But a lot of their teams from last year are below 500 teams outside of NC State, Army, Clemson, and Liberty, uh, which Liberty, I – I think is going to have a big drop off. That's for another conversation, but wake Forest, I think they'll challenge and they'll be up there, but again, NC state to win the Atlantic. Uh, I mean, I, not a whole lot of opinion here. I, I, it hurts me that Sam Harbin isn't available week one because the connection from Sam Harbin to AT Perry, watching them play army last year, watching them, I was actually live. Clemson beat them, but in Death Valley, like on senior day last year. I I loved that Wake Forest team. Mm -hmm. They don't matter. They do, they just don't matter. Without Hartman healthy, without that connection to Perry, with the defense is going to be better than they were last year. They couldn't stop a fucking thing last year. Um. They're going to be better, but it's it doesn't matter. The Sam Hartman isn't playing. We, I guess we have no clue when he's going to be back. Um, it, they just don't matter. Fair enough, BCB. Yeah, I mean, did you watch the Super Bowl between the uh, the Rams and the Bengals? And you remember how the end of the game, Joe Burrow dropped back and he had Jamar Chase, and it didn't matter because he was getting smoked. Yep. Uh, if Xavier Thomas and Brian Breesey are healthy in that Clemson game, is probably what it's going to look like for Hartman <laughs> or whoever's playing quarterback, uh, where you're not going to get to see the Hartman AT Perry connection because he's not able to get the ball out on time. Fair enough. Um, I don't, it's a it's a nice team by Wake Forest's standards. I don't think they're winning the division. They'll they can have a nice season. I I got the eight and a half or the under on the eight and a half on the win totals when the news came out on Hartman. So. Um, they might, they, they might not have four losses on the schedule, but, uh, you never know. I mean, it, they lost uh, two of their three losses last year were blowouts to Pittsburgh and Clemson. So, 
Right. Maybe this is just like a better version of Maryland where you're going to see them blow out teams that are bad and they're going to lose to teams that are good. That's a good assessment. I like that. So just to recap, you guys are taking both Clemson to win the Atlantic. I got NC State. Is that – would you guys agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, Clemson by a million. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess for picks, I'm not putting money on any right, of these right, teams right. to win their division, so – Yep. No, I wouldn't put money with DJU either. He might as well throw it at a goddamn trash can. So we'll move to the coastal. Dante Culpepper was good. What's that? Sorry. Dante Culpepper was good. Fat Dante Culpepper, not so good. Um, yeah. So the next uh, first game, like I, I kind of touched on this one at, at the beginning here to start us off, but Duke and Georgia Tech, let's just knock those out real quick. I don't think either team wins outside when they play each other. And I think Georgia takes Georgia Tech takes that game. If you can at all possibility, uh, just pulling up the odds here. Duke is three and a half. Uh, Georgia Tech is three and a half. I would take the under on both of those, even though they do play each other once. Very, very high on those. Those are two of probably my bigger locks or where I have most of my money is Duke and Georgia Tech unders. I have nothing to do with either of those teams, so I will have nothing to do with them. Like, let's move on. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll just say this about Georgia Tech. The kid that they thought was going to be their best offensive player this year plays for Alabama, and the kid they thought was going to be their best defensive player now plays for Ole Miss. So uh, <laughs> that's usually not a good sign going into uh, a season. And Duke, uh, they're back to being a basketball school. So the magic that Cutcliffe brought there when he took him to the ACC championship a few years ago, yeah. uh, I, I don't think they're going to, they're not going to sniff that level of success for a while. Okay. Okay. Um, let's talk Virginia then. Uh, again, one of my top, this is my third rated quarterback in the ACC, Brennan Armstrong. The best thing I like about Virginia, obviously their quarterback, if you can't tell already, I put a ton of emphasis on quarterback on college football teams. I, I really think that's a big, big difference maker compared to the NFL. But outside of the quarterback, I think the other thing that just really goes for them is their schedule, which we've talked about as well. You get Richmond, maybe a little bit of tougher game in state rival, but then your non-conference is Illinois. That's always great to see that there. You don't have to play Clemson. You don't have to pay NC State. Um, you do have to, you do get Miami and Pitt at home. Uh, you get coastal at home too, which, which would be nice. But outside of that, I think it's one of my uh, sleeper teams to pull up in the coastal. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give my official pick here later, but obviously the quarterback I think he's incredibly talented. And then obviously the, the, the schedule goes very much in their favor. Yeah. I mean, not a whole lot here. I mean, I, Brendan Armstrong is a very good quarterback, um, but that's that's really all I have on him. Uh, going to be good, but I, Coastal is going to be a scare late in their season. Coastal's going to be the top of the Sun Belt. We'll talk about G5 later. Um, yep. But, yeah, I mean, Coastal's going to scare them. We're going we're gonna to compete just as hard on offense. Throw a lot of touchdowns. Oh, yeah, score. yeah, I agree. But the defense stinks. That's what it comes down to. For sure. Who gets the big stop? Yeah, all, all the things I said about Clemson's offense getting stale um, over the years, Virginia now has that problem because Tony Elliott, the offensive coordinator from Clemson, is now the head coach at Virginia. 
Um, So I think you're going to see a different system than what they ran last year. So probably not going to have too many of the 500-yard passing games from Brennan Armstrong and the crazy video game numbers. Uh, (laughs) Defensively, they gave up 466 yards a game last year. They're going to have to shore that up. Um, Again, this is probably just going to be a really fun five or six one team. For sure. If the offense isn't fireworks every week, they might be a really boring three and nine team. Currently sitting at seven and a half over under. Um, I'd probably hit over there, but yeah, we'll see. It's definitely, definitely a play. Seven and a half. Yes, for Virginia. Yep. Yeah, under. Plus money. No, uh, well, yeah, I I guess I don't know. It just has the over under there. So I'm guessing 110 across the board, but probably not. Um, next team here, Miami. Uh, so again, Van Dyke's great. My one thing, I think Cristobal is a great coach, but I think he's better known as a recruiter. He just pulled in a top 10 class. So that's obviously not going to help them this year. I think they're going to take a, a step in the right direction. Uh, Van Dyke, I think he's gone after this year off to the NFL, already seeing him on Kuiper's big board for one of the first or second quarterbacks taken. So should be interesting. Definitely an improvement from last year. Um, outside of that, uh, the schedule doesn't do them any favors. When, when, you, when you look at it here at Texas A&M, at Clemson, ending the year at home at Pittsburgh. So tough season. Uh, but again, I think they're going to make a lot of strides forward. In the coming years, though, we're going to see back to the U. They're sitting currently at eight and a half. God, that's another fucking tough one. I probably wouldn't play this. If anything, I'd lean over, I guess. But, yeah, uh, that's that's my my play for Miami. <clears throat> I love them. I fucking love Miami. Uh, they're bringing all the boys back. Uh, Manny Diaz fucking was an awful head coach. He didn't get any of them going. They're bringing, they're bringing almost everybody back. I, I'll talk about them later for my bets, but I love Miami. They have a difficult schedule. They have to go to Clemson this year, but I still love them. I love Chris Ball. I love Miami. Uh, the U <laughs> be back, and I might get killed here, but fine. BCB, let's hear it. Uh, so I, I like Miami. Um, I'm on the over of eight and a half wins. Mostly if you look at the schedule, it's really tough to find four losses here that stick out. They've got the game at Texas A&M, which could be a tough one. Um, but other than that, they've got the game at Clemson late, maybe a home game to Pittsburgh. Um, th- that's tough. But other than that, I, I don't see them losing four times. I think they'll get some of those. Uh, you got Tyler Van Dyke. So the interesting thing is it's not just Chris Stobel that they bring in here. So they also have Josh Gaddis coming in as offensive coordinator. Um, he's been at Michigan the last three years. Um, so he's got a kid to work with here. Tyler Van Dyke's probably better than the two kids that Michigan put out there between Cade McNamara um, and McCarthy last year. And then you've got on defense, uh, they do add Kevin Steele as the defensive coordinator. Uh, most recently at Auburn, but he's also been defensive coordinator at LSU, Clemson, and Alabama. Uh, and they have Charlie Strong back in the college ranks here as the co-defensive coordinator. So uh, Charlie Strong back in the limelight. 
Um, but yeah, so I think they've got a great staff and uh, we will see what happens. They got seven starters back on offense, seven on defense. <clears throat> have a really good running back group. Have Frank Ladson that they've added here uh, for um, as a transfer from Clemson, a wide receiver. Uh, from an offensive line standpoint, um, they have 137 career starts returning on the offensive line. So they've got some experience up front. So lots of like here if you like Miami. Um, I've just also fallen in the trap about like five times in my life of being, hey, Miami's back this year years. So maybe a little bit of, uh, you know, maybe, maybe some lingering effects there of being wrong on this team over time. But Hey, if you just keep saying they're back, they're going to be back eventually, bub. So remember that too. When you, you, you keep, keep that same energy with Texas, they'll be back some point. Dude, take your ambient again. I'm tired of this shit. <laughs> I got dude, I got more faith in my area than I do of Texas. So. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Which which team's more likely to be back this year, the U or Texas? Texas, baby. All day. All right, all right. Last team we'll talk about in the Coastal, we got Pitt. You obviously lose Kenny Pickett, bring in Keaton Slovis. Here's the thing about Pitt. Uh, I think I, 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 I think you can, if you want to compare the ACC to someone, especially the ACC Coastal Division, I think you can compare it to the West. Uh, no big superstars there. A lot of good, solid teams. And they're probably going to get beat by whoever wins the Atlantic or, in the Big Ten's case, uh, the East. Yeah, Clemson. Yeah, it's Clemson. What are we talking about? Well, I'm saying whoever they play in these. I yeah, Clemson, Clemson wins the ACC every year. No, they didn't last year. That being said, though. And an anomaly. Pitt loses Kenny Pickett. However, they do return their entire offensive line. You have Keaton Slovis, which – I never was a huge fan, uh, but again, you just need to operate, you know, run the ball and play defense, which their defense was top two in the ACC last year, which is the reason why they won 11 games. So Pitt is my team to win the Coastal Division. Uh, I really, I think they're a solid team all around. I love the, the, the play defense, solid offense line. I think those are two keys to having a solid season, especially when you don't have that superstar in your division that that really sticks out. So Pitt's my play to win the Coastal. I, I have zero play here. It, it doesn't matter at all. Uh, like I said, Clemson, I, I care more. Louisville has more of a chance than any team out there. Um, even Miami. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's all I have. All right. Um, yeah, so here we go. So Narduzzi has been at Pittsburgh now for eight seasons. Um, 2017, they were five and seven. 2018, they were seven and seven. 19, eight and five. 2020, they were six and five. Then last year, they make the jump to 11 and three, mostly because Kenny Pickett took a huge jump as a player. Pickett's out the door. Jordan Addison's out the door. Um, Keaton Slavis, I think is fine. Um, but I don't think they have anybody that can replace Jordan Addison. I don't think they're going to replace the production that they got from Kenny Pickett. Although I do think Keaton Slavis will play well for him. Don't think that they're really conference contenders. It's not, it's the schedule starts out a little hard. They've got West Virginia on that Thursday night game. Then they play Tennessee. Um, both those games are at home. Then they actually, uh, week three play at Western Michigan. 
which is a team that beat them last year. So interesting to see how that starts. Then they've got Rhode Island, Georgia Tech um, after that. I, I don't know. I, I think eight and four. I, I would guess about eight and four just looking at the schedule here. Sure. No, I like it. So who's your guys pick to win the Coastal? Man, um, I guess, uh, again, this isn't anything I'd be betting on. Uh, I'm yeah. not putting real, real money down on it. I, I, I guess where I'm going to go Miami, we're going to be on chalk here. All right. And, Law, I'm guessing you're doing the same. I mean, I'm on Miami to win the ACC, so <laughs> let's ride. Let's ride, he says. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, my overall pick to win the ACC, I have NC State. You both have Clemson. We'll see how that turns out. I still think DJU is terrible, but to each their own. Let's move to the big conference, the one that I think gets some of the most attention, the Southeastern Conference, the SEC. We'll start, go ahead, in the SEC East. Uh, Missouri, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, South Carolina, Tennessee, Vanderbilt. Let's go ahead and skip Vanderbilt. Uh, again, I think they're in the Duke-Georgia Tech bucket there, so we kind of know what to expect from them. Um, BCB, this is your conference, so, I mean, I'll let you kind of take the lead if you want to pick the team to discuss first. Uh, yeah, we'll take a look because I've been watching a bunch of preview shows, listening to a bunch of podcasts, and the one thing people on live streams in the comment sections is always, hey, we need more SEC coverage. Why doesn't anyone cover the SEC? <laughs> so I'm glad we saved the best for last year. We'll give the people what they need, which is more talk about the SEC. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> All right, I think the, the biggest enigma uh, and probably really to like an extent kind of hold the cards in this division, uh, we'll start with that team first. I'm going to say that's actually South Carolina because I have no idea what this team's going to put on the field this year. Uh, they do get former Heisman favorite Spencer Rattler. Um, people were super high on him. I never really understood it. Didn't pan out at Oklahoma. Now he comes to South Carolina. He's apparently loving it. He said some some nice things. Um, Shane Beamer's in his second year. They also somehow went seven and six last year uh, playing Zeb Nolan, who was an assistant coach at quarterback. So uh, they had Luke Doty, Zeb Nolan, and now they have a real quarterback. So we'll see. I don't know what to expect from this team. Um, probably going to be one of those teams that maybe they're, you know, eight and four. Um, but they're going to be, you know, a top 20 team that, that loses four games kind of based on the schedule here. It's not the easiest schedule. All right, Larry. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I am a big fan of South Carolina. They will play upset, but it only matters that teams that go to Columbia and play them. So Georgia State, it's a Sunbelt team. They're pretty good. So week one, we are going to know what South Carolina is and Rattler is. I do like I do like what they're building there. I like it a lot. Um, but at the same time, I don't think they're ready. I don't think they're ready for the big show of the SEC. But at the same time, I think they could win the division somehow some way um and i think i've been worked into that by the media that 
has told me Rattler isn't that bad and he just had a bad deal at Oklahoma. But Rattler was bad at Oklahoma. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I'm confused. I'm basically right. confused by South Carolina. <laughs> Let me help here. I like what you said uh, to begin with. There's a high, high possibility I could see South Carolina starting 0-3. Georgia State at Arkansas with K.J. Jefferson uh, home against Georgia. Big chance I think they could start 0-3. Spencer Rattler, completely overrated. Absolutely feel that it's his um, energy he gives off, I guess. just He's just a little bitch, I guess. I will say, though, Shane Beamer is going to be a great, great head coach. They did pull in one of the best FCS uh, wide receivers from James Madison, Antoine Wells Jr., so that'll be some help. They got their tight end from Oklahoma as well, coming with Spencer Rattler to South Carolina. So, again, um, I think Shane Beamer is going to be great. Rattler, man, he just he's just not it. Uh, and their schedule does not do them any favors. Outside of those first three games, their remaining road schedule is at Kentucky, which will be a tough one, at Vanderbilt, fuck them, at Florida, and ending the year at your fucking little bitch boys in Clemson. So uh, it'll be a tough, tough road for them. Uh, I don't see them doing much. If anything, I would take the under, and that's just without even looking at their under right now. It is at... I'll have to pull it up what it's at, but whatever it is, I'd be more than happy to take the under. I, it's a little too high for them in fucking Columbia. I think as much as they think they got an excellent quarterback, I don't – Rattler's not that great. Like, there's a reason he got pushed out of the locker room. There, there has to be a reason. There, he's not – there's no way he's a likable guy. And Beamer's already Beamer in one of his like interviews with the team, not interviews, but like speeches with the team is like, this guy is hated. I, I forget what it was, but like on social media, it's like, we're getting this guy that everybody hates, but he's going to make us better is basically what he said. And it, it was just wild. Like there's such a wild card. Oh yeah. But it, Still, it's still one of the hardest places to play in the SEC East. Yep. Is that East? Yep, SEC East. All right. So South Carolina, I think for the most part, we're out on. Uh, BCB, lead us away. What's our next team we want to talk about? Yeah, I'll just wrap up on South Carolina. Oh, I'm, yeah, like, please, I'm yeah. just going to say I'm fully prepared for this team to, like, beat Georgia State week one, get blown out at Arkansas week two, and then somehow beat Georgia by, like, a field goal week three. Like, it, it, and then just kind of play that card where it's like they're just unbettable because you have no idea what team's going to show up week to week. I'm fully prepared for uh, South Carolina to be, like, the seven and five, six and six spoiler uh, that determines who wins this division. Um, based on what weeks they show up and what they don't. I like that. I like that. Uh, but, yeah, so next team that we have here in the division, uh, let me go ahead. We'll move on. All right, uh, to an, let's move on to a hype team here, um, a team that's kind of getting a lot of hype. I'm not sure why. Uh, let's go with the Kentucky Wildcats. Oh. All right, kick us off. All right. Oh. Go ahead. What was that? Go ahead. 
Okay, so uh, you get a team returning six starters on offense, five on defense from a team that went 10-3 and three last year. Um, yeah, I, apparently Will Levis went from being a guy who was kind of okay, couldn't beat out Sean Clifford, to uh, he's, he's a guy I like to refer to as he's a player that people – People who have not seen Will Levis love Will Levis. Like, people that don't watch him play love this kid, apparently. Um, he was just kind of a guy. He's got some tools, but uh, their offense lasted a year. They don't really have game-breaking speed, and they lost the one kid that did, which is Wandale Robinson. Uh, they're trying to replace him this year. Um, they've got another kid, Tavion Robinson, uh, that comes in. I don't think he's going to be the player that Wanda was. They lose some guys on the defense, too, uh, which was kind of their calling card. They did add some players um, through the portal on defense. We'll ultimately see. I think Mark Stoops is a good coach, but like uh, John Calipari said, it's a basketball school, man. <laughs> all right, all right. I guess the only thing I have to add to that, yes, I 100% agree Mark Stoops is, is, is just like Shane Beamer. I think that that's how they can kind of be similar. Kentucky and South Carolina, two highly overrated quarterbacks with two outstanding coaches. Just my opinion. They did lose their OC to the LA Rams. So that I think that'll be a big play in, uh, in what they have. And then on top of that, I just read a stat here, 10 of their 12 teams they play went bowling last year. So those are obviously teams that, you know, there's not going to be any cakewalks there. There's going to be a plenty of competition throughout. So if you have a bad game, you know, you might get upset. There's there's no easy, easy wins outside of maybe looking at Youngstown State, maybe. Uh, oh, and Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. Yeah, Vanderbilt. but uh, yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I I think Wandale Robinson being lost is a big loss. Uh, I think Will Levis overrated. Mark Stoops, great coach. So if anything, I'd take the under on this. I can't pull up the SEC team totals. It's kind of pissing me off, but whatever it is, I, I take the under there, Larry. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have much to offer. I mean, Kentucky stinks. Um, Stoops is what I'm looking at. Stoops is two and seven against Tennessee and that's the big game. And Stoops stinks against Tennessee uh, in Knoxville. Like I, yeah, I, I just don't, we'll have it stinks. I don't understand the hype. Like, the fact that he's a Heisman favorite just doesn't make any sense to me. If, if they're going to have any success, it's running in the ball. Yep. I just, I just don't see it. They're just not a football team. They're not a football team that matters in the SEC. And they haven't been for years. All right. Yeah. PCB, uh, anything more to add? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was trying to pull up their win total here. Um, I do know from a scheduling standpoint, though, they, they only play four road games. So <laughs> eight games at home, four on the road. Uh, so that's a little bit beneficial to them. Uh, their win total is at eight. So it's at eight right now. Even money on the over, uh, minus 120 on the under. Uh, I would probably go under. I When I was in Keeneland, I was really drunk in an Uber um, in, in Lexington a few months ago, and I just kept telling the Uber driver about how Ole Miss was going to put it on Kentucky. Uh, <laughs> it, it happened to be the same day Kentucky had their spring game, uh, and I asked 
the driver, I said, well, since Kentucky's playing themselves, they might actually score a touchdown on offense today, huh? So uh, <laughs> my bed's made here. I have no choice but to hate this team for, for talking some smack. Um, I don't know. Yeah, they, I, I don't see this team um, playing up to the level that they did last year, not from a win total standpoint. It'll probably be a team, though, that we're all, like, rooting for. Um, at the end of November, they played Georgia. Um, <laughs> the next to last game. Chaos. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be like anybody who's sick of the Georgia Alabama SEC championship game will probably be rooting for Kentucky late in the season. Absolutely. All right. What, what's your next team? All right. Uh, let's move on here then. Uh, we'll just kind of keep attacking it in the, the order that I had it. Uh, going backwards, save the best for last. We'll start with uh, the Florida Gators here, uh, Billy Napier's squad. Uh, at the swamp this year so uh six starters back on offense seven on defense added some kids uh from the portal rookie pearsall wide receiver and unfortunately he is injured so um, i know anthony richardson anthony richardson a huge fan favorite i thought the kid was pretty talented uh thought he was better than emory jones apparently there's some buzz on jack miller who's the backup quarterback that they added in the portal as well too um, he transfers in, and I'm also pretty sure their third string quarterback is John Kitna's son. So, um, it'll be interesting to see what they get from the quarterback position this year. Uh, again, from a scheduling standpoint, they have a really tough schedule. Uh, they got Utah week one, they play at Tennessee, um, they play Georgia, obviously, they go to Texas AM, and then they end it at Florida State. So, um, we'll see i this is probably too early for them uh for them to be be a great team this year i think you know six and six seven and five uh would be a success in year one under billy napier got it i'll hop in real quick so larry i mean this is coming from the sunbelt here billy napier the old ull coach uh obviously a great coach what he is what he's all about Problem is last year, I think the team really quit on them towards the end of the year. You could just tell the team had just fucking given up. Um, I'll tell you this is that AR-15, he's no Michael Vick. I, God damn it. Uh, he's no Michael Vick. He's more to me like a Marcus Vick. Uh, I think he's a little erratic with the football when he does choose to throw it. He definitely has the legs there. Um, outside of that, though, you start the season home against Utah, home against Kentucky. Yeah, you get those two games home, but usually you need that one of those tune-ups to get going. And again, this is another place where you could easily start off 0-2. And if your team quit on you last year in the second half because things started going downhill, I think starting 0-2 is just not the best bet for a team that uh, maybe not might not have the hope and heart that it, that it usually does. So I like the under here as well, BCB, and uh, that's my play. Uh, yeah, I mean, not a whole lot to add there. I like Billy Napier. His guys aren't there yet. Um, AR, AR-15, just, I mean, I watched him play at spurts, spurts last year, and he just can't throw the ball. Um, he's just not a good quarterback. Um, I just don't – I, I – they aren't the East. They're not going to win the East. Um, I think they're a couple of years out, but that that's all I have on Florida. All right. BCB. Yeah. 
I'll go ahead. Yeah, I was say yeah with Florida. I'm interested to see because at uh, UL Lafayette, Billy Napier ran a predominantly run-heavy offense. Uh, they average over 220 yards a game running the ball. Florida's a little bit thin at the wide receiver position this year. So um, if they're going to try and run the ball and be a physical team like they were, they're not going to beat Georgia. They're <laughs> probably not going to beat Utah. And they're not uh, – the Kentucky, from a defensive standpoint, could be a tough matchup for them. So – Right. Depending on what that offense looks like, like you said, if they start slow, um, maybe you don't get some buy-in from some guys that are year in year one. Uh, the season season could go downhill pretty quickly uh, if they don't get off to a a good start. Uh, we'll move we'll move on next to everybody's favorite underdog this year, uh, a team that ruined my Heisman futures last year, or not necessarily the the team, but the fans themselves. Tennessee Volunteers here uh, coming in, Josh Heupel's second year. Uh, they got eight starters back on offense, seven on defense. Um, yeah, took a step forward. Incredibly fun team to uh, to watch play. They run a run a play on offense every ten or fifteen seconds. Mm -hmm. uh, they are going to be starting Hendon Hooker at quarterback week one this year, which is what I thought they should have been doing all along last year. Uh, I couldn't believe they went to Joe Milton uh, when they switched to Hooker. <laughs> went a lot better. Uh, they they've got my alma mater ball state here uh, week one and they come into that 31 point favorite so looking forward to seeing that uh, yeah they've got some really nice guys at the uh, the skill positions I think Jayla Hyatt's an explosive receiver um, they add Brew McCoy from USC but I don't know if he's going to be eligible um, offensive line I think they return most guys except for the left tackle so should be good up front. The only problem is their defense wasn't very good last year. And uh, when you run the up-tempo at the tempo that Tennessee does, it's kind of a double-edged sword. You kind of live by, die by the tempo there. Um, if the defense isn't improved and they're still running quickly, uh, you put your defense in some bad spots. So if the defense takes a step forward, then I think this team has a real chance to, to maybe pull a couple of upsets here. Um, the schedules, they, they've got to go to Pittsburgh, to LSU, uh, at Georgia and at South Carolina. So not the easiest. Um, they also get to go to Vanderbilt uh, in the last week of the season. think they'll pull that out. So interested to see how this season goes for them. Um, and if they take a step forward in Heupel's second year, um, at the very least, they should be a fun team to watch play. For sure. So, yeah. And Hooker, probably one of my favorite players in D1 football. Their offense, when it's clicking, it's clicking. And then I think you hit it right on the nail that um, their one downfall last year was their defense. They gave up 33.6 points per game in SEC play last year. Um, I will say this, so, you know, returning those seven starters on defense is going to be big. Obviously, we're not going to be seeing no top 10, top 15 defense, but you know, if you do have that high tempo, just being able to control other teams, slow down the clock on the, on that side of the ball. That being said, this is my pick to win the SEC East, has been all along. Uh, we'll talk about the other kind of favorites there uh, that are out there, but really big on Tennessee this year and uh, definitely some tough games. They get Bama across, you know, going across to the West. They obviously have jo at Georgia. So uh, some tough ones there, but still uh, my, my pick to win the East. Larry. Don't care at all about Tennessee. They stink. They are far from the top of the East. Um, even the Georgia team that's reloading, the Kentucky team that has a lot of recruits in South Carolina, Tennessee doesn't matter. Uh, that's, that's all I have on them. All right. BCB, who's next? 
All right, uh, we'll turn on from the volunteers here. I think that just leaves us with Georgia, essentially. Uh, I don't really, I mean, Missouri's still out there. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't have much to add on Missouri. Um, yeah, so now now we get to see the uh, Georgia Bulldogs, who finally made it to the mountaintop, <laughs> won the national championship. Yeah. Seemed like it was a long time coming. They'd kind of been knocking at the door here. Uh, now, how do you act? How do you, you know, like what, what happens next? What's the next step when you're defending the title uh, as opposed to still reaching for it when you're the king? So they had a great defense last year. Uh, they only returned three starters from that defense. The three starters are all really good players. I think Jalen Carter may be the best defensive lineman in all of college football. Uh, you've got Nolan Smith coming back at linebacker. The kid's a dog. I love, <laughs> love Nolan Smith. Um yeah, offensively, Stetson Bennett, uh, he's the quarterback. I guess he's he's kind of gets knocked a little bit. Um, the kid shows up and produces, though, and wins games, doesn't really turn the ball over. I think I think he can do some nice things. Uh, they also that the uh, they might have the best tight ends in the co- in the country. Uh, they got Brock Bowers, and then they get Eric Gilbert this year. So I think it's going to be another good year for the Dogs. Here's the only. I don't have them as a, as a playoff team. And the reason why is I think they'll probably lose one regular season game at some point, whether that's at South Carolina or Tennessee or, you know, if like Florida or some, somebody sneaks up there um, and upsets them. And then also too, they'll have to play Alabama in the conference title game. So if you, uh, which I think Alabama's winning the SEC conference title game. So that would give them two losses, which I think would put them on an uphill battle, but I do expect them to win this division. Right. So Georgia, um, I think, I mean, if we're talking, I mean, I, I think I've been on a heater with overrated quarterback Stetson Bennett. I think it's a mistake that, that, that he's there at quarterback. I think JT Daniels was the player, was the person to make things happen at Georgia and continue their success. Stetson Bennett, I think is very, very much overrated and a defense carried him to a national championship last year. As you mentioned, only three returning starters, two offensive linemen went in the transfer portal um, their schedule. I agree with you. I mean, South Carolina at the beginning of the season is tough, but they have a stretch at the end of the season at Florida, home against Tennessee, at Mississippi State, which I think is going to be a very good team, at Kentucky. So that's four tough games back to back to back, really to cause some chaos towards the end of the season. But yeah, uh, Jermaine Burton went to Alabama, transferred. Um, I saw another win here. I think that was pretty big. Uh, Justin Robinson, another one of their receivers, went to Mississippi State. So, George is going to be a great team, obviously. Uh, they're going to have the players that will fill the gaps. But, uh, yeah, I just I, they're not the team as last year. They're going to have a target on their back all year. And, uh, yeah, I think that that's kind of my hot pick is for them not to win the East. Uh, so, I think they win the East. They do their toughest span. Is I agree with Bubs. The toughest band, they're not at Florida. They got Florida at home. So fuck Bubs. But um they have they're at Mississippi State and at Kentucky. They're two out of their last three weeks. Georgia Tech's their last week. But if they can somehow get through those two weeks in November. At Mississippi State and then at Kentucky, they win. They win the East, and there's no question about it. Um, 
It's a little bit crazy. They have such an easy schedule. And, I mean, they have guys that are ready to come and play. So, um, yeah, Georgia to win the East, easy. Easy money. All right. Uh, yeah, just moving on, one last thing on Georgia. They do have a wide receiver with probably the best name in the country, which is Lad McConkey. So, can't talk about Georgia without giving out a shout-out to uh, Lad <laughs> McConkey. I like it. I like it. All right, let's talk the West. All right, let's talk the West. So this is probably the best division in college football from top to bottom. Uh, you may have heard somebody say that by now. Maybe that's an original take. I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and start here with, with probably the biggest wild card in this division, and that is Brian Kelly and the LSU Tigers. So yeah. uh, you get Brian Kelly coming into a situation. He's got six starters back on offense, five on defense. Uh, they play a schedule that's actually rated as the number six toughest uh, right now in the country. Okay. And they will have no Miles Brennan as he has walked away from football. So it looks like it's going to be down to uh, Jaden Daniels uh, coming in from Arizona State. They also have Garrett Nussmeyer, who some people said is a little bit ahead um, in the, uh, the quarterback competition. So interesting to see which one they'll start. They do have some talented players. Um, you know, they have Keishon Booty at wide receiver, uh, John Emery at running back. They got some guys here. The cupboard's not bare of talent. Unfortunately, I think they're just a little bit behind. Um, rumor was that Coach O had kind of checked out the last couple of years. So I think you're going to kind of see that in the roster depth uh, that they have this year. Ultimately, they've got Brian Kelly. Uh, they gave him a lot of money. He's going to be there a long time. So year one. Year one of Brian Kelly. He doesn't have to have a great year this year. Uh, so if it comes together for him, they could be a huge spoiler, uh, spoil some people's seasons, be a really competitive team. If it does not start well, doesn't go well for him, then, you know, again, maybe you're looking at a team that's, yeah, five and seven. They have kids hitting the portal mid-year, and, uh, you know, it's, it's not going well for him. Uh, but, yeah, we'll see. Uh, biggest wild card, LSU. Yeah, so um, is that how you say his last name is Booty? I believe so, yeah. All right, yeah, he's already preseason All-American wide receiver. He's going to be something special. Brian Kelly, man, I, I never – Notre Dame plays in the independent. You know, sure, if you could play Air Force and underrated USC for the past 10 years every fucking year and play a bunch of, you know, you know obviously they played a little bit in the ACC as of late. I, I just don't think he really did much there from a coaching perspective. Obviously, recruiting was great. Uh, Jaden Daniels, he broke my heart last year. Had so much faith in him. Bet every Arizona State game, I think, thinking that was the week they were going to turn it around. Fun little stat is that they finished second to last in all of the SEC in rushing yards, even with uh, – I can't remember the game, but they had a game where they had like 300-plus yards in one of the games, but still finished second to last in the SEC in rushing so, yeah, I like uh, the spoiler role as well. You know, looking at their schedule, it doesn't do them any favors. Like uh, you said, six six artists. Yeah. Yeah, so tough, tough year. Uh, obviously, they'll get there from the recruiting pre perspective from Brian Kelly, but not – they ain't that guy this year. Larry. I love him. I love him. The only reason I love him is over seven wins. Over seven wins is plus money. Brian Kelly has proven time in and time out 
He gets his boys fucking ready to go. They don't lose games. Whether it's Cincinnati, Notre Dame, like they, Brian Kelly is fucking good at what he does. I fucking hated him faking a Southern accent or an LSU accent to get them bumped up. But like, somehow, some way, he's a proven talent as a coach. He goes to new schools and overperforms. And he's got more talent at LSU than there was at Notre Dame. Um, just based on athletes. Um, he has dealt with some shit, but I mean, over seven being plus money, like, I think they're going to play upset. Like, LSU is just the neck. The neck's a hard plate. Like, you don't want to come into Death Valley. Like, it's a hard place to play. So, I, I'm on the over there. People forget Brian Kelly killed a kid at Notre Dame. Just a little fun fact to, to throw that <laughs> out there. He did. No, he honestly. Let's, let's cut that. There's, there's no fun fact there. <laughs> okay. Anyways. <laughs> What's our next team? <laughs> Let's Bubs, Bubs says that, then the internet goes out again. As uh, yeah, okay, I'm back. Yeah. I'm back. I'm back. Kid, kid doesn't even know what internet is in fucking Iowa. Dude, I have someone coming on Tuesday. What's our next team? <laughs> About to put Bubs up in the internet tower. Um, fucking <laughs> <laughs> oh, goddamn! Get him, get him up there with a satellite dish so this kid can get some post two thousands internet. Jesus. All right. Yeah, I don't know if the video will be up on this, but I'm pretty sure he's putting cables together trying to jumpstart a dial-up connection right now. Get him a fucking tinfoil helmet. He's he's not wiring his internet connection. Like, dude, come on. All right. All right. Uh, Well, all right. Another team that has the ability to be a complete train wreck and go off the rails and get their coach fired pretty early in the season. Uh, Brian Harson and uh, the Auburn Tigers. <laughs> Tumultuous offseason, to say the least. Uh, he also is another coach who has had some uh, supposed relations with a staffer. So usually that does not end well for college football coaches. There's not a great uh, and illustrious history of, of people Oh, uh, having affairs with people on their staff and then it going well for him. Uh, to make matters worse, Auburn also plays the most difficult schedule in the country. Um, Bo Nix, longtime starter and fan favorite there, is out the door now. He's at Oregon. They are down between TJ Finley, who recently got arrested for evading the police on a moped, um, okay. or Zach Calzada uh, coming over from Texas A&M starting at quarterback. So, We'll see how that shakes out for him. They do have a really nice running back in Tank Bigsby, um, one of the best running backs in the country. Uh, so, yeah, very, very excited for him. This, this season, this, this could go off the rails, man. They have, they've got Penn State week three. Uh, then they go to Georgia, two Ole Miss in their bye week. Um, with the way the Ole, Miss, uh, the, yeah, the Ole Miss-Auburn game went last year as an Ole Miss fan, I would really love for Ole Miss to be the team that uh, gets Harson fired here going into the bye. Don't know if it'll happen. Um, but, yeah, they 
they come back. So they've got seven starters back on offense, six on defense. They were six and seven last year. Uh, did almost win the Iron Bowl, though. Um, they, they took Alabama to four OTs with TJ Finley at quarterback. So you just never know. Um, I, I really don't know what to expect from this team. Wouldn't be surprised, like I said, if the coach gets fired and it goes off the rails. Um, they had a bunch of kids hit the portal, too. So this, again, with kids being able to hit the portal whenever, if they get off to a bad start, um, this thing could really start to snowball here. So don't know what to expect. Would take the under on the win total. Same here. Under on the win total. 19 total transfers in the transfer portal, transfer portal this year. Uh, with Alzado getting arrested, that's obviously not going to help. You never want to get a quarterback from Texas A&M, I feel like, especially as of late. That's nothing real promising. The only bright spot I see here is Tank Bigsby, like you mentioned. I've always been a huge fan of him and, and what he does on the football field. Pair that up, though, with the number one toughest schedule. Take Give me the under there. It's, it's going to be a bad, bad season to be an Auburn Tiger. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to repeat the same thing. Love, Tank, love Tanks Bigsby. They might lose the San Jose State week two, and they'll probably lose to Penn State week three. Um, but, I, yeah, I mean, Bo, the fact that Bo Nix would be their best option this year is crazy, and that's what it comes down to. Yep. Yeah, Bo Nix leaving, and then it creates a vacuum there uh, to where even – you know, maybe you see Robbie Ashford, uh, another kid who transferred in from Oregon, uh, the third string quarterback. He might play at some point. So, yeah, I don't. I, I'm always a huge believer that the makeup of your football team changes four or five times over the course of a season due to injuries and transfers and stuff like that. That we might see like eight different versions of this Auburn team on, <laughs> over the course of a season. Oh yeah. Uh, depending on on what happens and what variables play out. So. Uh, we will move on then to another team that I think is a little bit of a sleeper this year. I think they could be a top 20 team, very tough team to play on a weekly basis. Um, another team that has a coach that's a little bit of an enigma, uh, Mike Leach and the Mississippi State Bulldogs. So going to be a fun team to watch. They've got eight starters back on offense, nine on defense. Team went seven and six last year. Um, so they come in, they actually have the number two rated schedule in terms of difficulty. So, uh, like I said, they play, they've got Memphis week one, which is a game they lost last year due to some uh, bad officiating, some would say. So revenge game week one, they've got to go to Arizona week two, which I think is a sneaky game. I think Arizona is a little better this year than what people probably think. Uh, they play at Kentucky, at Alabama, at LSU, and then they end the season at Ole Miss on that Thursday night Thanksgiving game in the Egg Bowl. So um, Will Rogers, incredibly talented quarterback. I think he's super efficient in the system and how they run it. So expect him to be a, a huge contributor. Um, one of the will probably be an all-conference quarterback maybe by the end of the year. We'll see how it goes for him. Um, but, yeah, this is a team that uh, from the offensive line standpoint too um, – they did add a Juco kid after losing, uh, I believe it was Charles Cross at left tackle last year. So they released, they got a highly rated Juco kid to replace him. We'll see what they're like on the offensive line. That'll be uh, huge and kind of what dictates <laughs> uh, an offense that passes most of the time. So um, did lose one of their best wide receivers, Malik Keith. He transferred to Ole Miss. Uh, we'll be there. But I, 
I don't know. I always make the joke, Mike Leach is Mr. Seven and Six. Uh, if you go back and look at him, the guy's just always around 500. Expect more of that here, but they'll probably be a dangerous team. Probably not a team I bet on a lot because they're just going to be a hard team to get a feel for uh, what you're going to see on a week-to-week -week basis. My favorite team in the SEC this year, Mississippi State. Fuck Ole Miss. I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> Number one, uh, they, re they have the highest returning productive rating in the SEC. They had 134 team starts by sophomores last season, second only to Alabama. Uh, Mike Leach, when he's had a three-year quarterback, he's had it three times in his, in his career. Cliff Kingsbury, uh, Falk, Graham. Um, and Graham Harrell. Those three teams won nine games. I see the same thing this year. Another little fun stat about them is that I got it right here. Sorry for the wait here. Okay, so when Mike Leach, he's at his best on the road when taking points against better teams. That's born out of the fact that his team stand 26 and 11 against the spread in that particular scenario, including 12 and one against the spread since 2015. So while they might not win this games, uh, this is a betting podcast. We're here to win you guys some money. So, Mike Leach on the road getting points. Take that whenever you can. He's obviously big at what he does there. But I'm taking the over on Mississippi State. Uh, I think they, Will Rogers is going to be great. Obviously, the returning production. They had the young players with a bunch of starts last year. Looking at the schedule, I think, like you said, Arizona is a better team, but I don't think they can compete with an SEC West-type team in Mississippi State. Um, outside of that, though, they get a lot of good games at home. They have to go at Kentucky, at, at Bama, but end the year with the Egg Bowl, I like the over, and I like them to hit nine wins this year. I, I mean, I couldn't disagree more. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they lose week three at LSU. Brian Kelly beats the shit out of them. And then they probably play a tough game against Bowling Green. Week four, they beat Bowling Green. Then they lose to AM, Arkansas, can at Kentucky at Alabama. They lose, I don't what is that? One, two, three, four. Four losses. So yeah, Bubs is wrong. Um Mississippi State is not good. Um yeah, I mean Mike Leach. Mike Leach isn't getting the same talent. He doesn't have the same offense that he's had in the past. This isn't Crabtree. This isn't Graham Arrow. This is fucking, it's just not, it's not happening. So I, that span that they have week three through seven. And but yeah, at Kentucky, at Alabama, back back, they get A&M at home. They get Arkansas at home. They're all losses. You get AM at home, Arkansas at home, then you're at Kentucky at Alabama, like all losses. That's four losses in a row. We shall see. You're just a Brent Walker fan. We shall see. We shall see. BCB, anything more on Mississippi State? Uh, yeah. So when they've had the ability to schedule since 2019, 2020, we'll throw that out because that was a COVID year, uh, 2019, 2021, and now 2022. Uh, they have gone to scheduling an FCS team on the Saturday before they play Ole Miss on Thursday. Some are saying it's a candy-ass move. We won't address it. So 
some people some people think it's a little a uh, little bit of kind of waving the white flag a little brother move um some would say also too with mississippi state it just feels like i if you bet this team to be like nine and three it's a very real possibility that after the arkansas game they're sitting there three and three and you're reading you're reading on internet forums about how Mike Lee just checked out at practice again and he's sitting on the sidelines listening to Rosetta Stone on his headphones and making his assistants run practice and you feel like an idiot and you're like, why did I back this guy? And then you get all the stories about him on Twitter about how he rants about conspiracy theories at practice and stuff. So uh, I don't know. He's just not a guy I'm attaching my wagon to. Uh, hey, if you think he's going seven and six, eight and four, probably on the right boat. Uh, that's kind of what he does best. So just a guy, just a guy who's like us has done perfectly well in his career by being pretty much mediocre with a few moments of brilliance. His brother, he's brother ends with Les miles that they have that sec blood in them, except Mike Leach doesn't uh, hook up with assistants or TAs, but anyways, well, what's next. All right. Uh, let's go ahead here. Let's jump in. All right. So, before we do these last three teams here, I think I'm just going to say, I think there's a scenario where this division produces two playoff teams. Um, it would take some stuff to happen, but basically you'd have to go 11 and one um, with your only loss being to Alabama um, on this side. But if Georgia gets two losses, maybe, you know, you get a second team in uh, one of the teams that I think has the chance to be that team, uh, Arkansas Razorbacks. So, I do like the Razorbacks a lot this year. Um, you've got Sam Pittman uh, coming into his third year here. Uh, they took a huge step forward last year, going nine and four. They returned seven starters on offense, four on defense. Do lose Traylon Burks, uh, which is a huge loss. I don't know what they have at wide receiver. I know they've got Matt Landers um, and Jaden Hazelwood coming in. Both of those guys are pretty talented. Not sure what it's going to look like um, beyond them, though. Uh, I do think this is kind of where preseason magazines get it wrong. Like, when you lose a kid that's as productive as Traylon Burks, yeah, it looks like you had, you know, 40% of your offense or whatever it was. So whatever the absurd number was that he produced, it looks like you have that going out the window. Um, you know, I'll tell you what, though, when you've got an offensive coordinator like Kendall Bryles, I'm going to guess Kendall Bryles is smart enough to find ways to replace production. Like, it, you're going to be able to find kids when you have SEC athletes um, at skill positions. They also have Rocket Sanders uh, back at running back here, um, talented, talented running back. And then KJ Jefferson, second year in the system here, if he takes a step forward, um, takes a step forward here as a starter. Uh, this year, again, they're going to be an awfully dangerous team. They come in, I know from a power rating standpoint, I have a lot uh, a lot of people that do the power ratings and do the uh, the advanced algorithms that really like Arkansas. So I've seen them as high as eight or nine uh, in some of those numbers. So, again, kind of comes down to managing the schedule. They do get Texas A&M at a neutral site game at the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. So that could be a huge pivotal game for them. Uh, then, yeah, they got Alabama the week after. And then uh, Mississippi State the week after that, they do have to play at BYU out of conference. So they have a heck of a four-game four game run there, but uh, that four-game run will determine their season and ultimately what their ceiling is. Yeah, so, I mean, K.J. Jefferson always has a place in my heart. The, the Razorbacks, uh, they're one of my favorite teams in the SEC. Just unfortunately, I, I don't think they have it in them this year. They only returned four starters on defense. I could see this being somewhat of a Tennessee situation where the offense is there, but – 
The defense just isn't picking up with it. Traylon Burks actually had over 60% of all receptions on the team last year. So you're losing a huge piece of production in the passing game. Uh, the schedule then, like you mentioned, BCB at Texas A&M, Alabama, at Mississippi State, at BYU, at, well, Auburn, we know is going to be a shit show, but that's a tough stretch in the middle of the season right there. I love KJ Jefferson. I think he's actually going to be a good pro, uh, but I just, I don't see it in them, especially with uh, the, the returning stars on defense being only four. And I, and I honestly think the production that they lose with Traylon Burks is going to have a bigger impact than folks think, but. And we were doing Arkansas. Arkansas. Yep. Uh, I think you picked them to win the Heisman last year, to be honest. I did. I had it was big, very, very high on KJ Jefferson. He performed well too. So I don't they just have they have a very difficult schedule, is what BCB and I were just going over. Like yep. the fucking gauntlet. Yeah, just my quick two points, only four returning starters, very, very tough schedule. Traylon Burke's big production being lost, so I'll take the under on them. Um, any other points on Arkansas or we want to hit the next team? Yeah, I'll just uh, add to So I, I know they only got four starters back on defense, did add Drew Sanders uh, transfer in from Alabama, who's a kid they're super high on at linebacker, and then they do have uh, Dwight McLovern uh, at – cornerback that they added from LSU so a couple of kids I know they're pretty high on they actually uh, did add some talent on the portal I think they're ranked depending on what site you look at either fifth or sixth um, in transfer portal rating so they add players um, they have a huge huge uh, you know uphill battle here looking at the schedule but um, I think it's funny to go back in time and look at how you can never really great coaching hires until they play out Sam Pittman got ripped for getting the job here uh, this guy is, has rebuilt Arkansas way faster than anybody would have thought when they hired him going into 2020. I don't, like, you can sit here and make an argument for him to be a sneaky kind of playoff team or at least a 10 win team this year. I don't think anybody was going to be talking about Arkansas. Like, no one thought they were going to be talking about Arkansas like that for sure. Uh, from the 2022. So, uh, let's move over here to uh, Texas AM. So, We'll talk about Jimbo and the boys. Jimbo has, uh, has had some words, had some, uh, some sound clips this offseason, has kept it interesting, and has now created an interesting triple threat match atop this division between him, Lane Kiffin, and Nick Saban uh, with some of the words that have been thrown around. So Jimbo comes in here with uh, the number one recruiting class and possibly the highest payroll um, if some coaches are to be believed. So they paid a lot of money for a team that might be eight and four. Uh, <laughs> apparently $31 million will get you Max Johnson starting at quarterback. So uh, that's where they come in. Um, in Jimbo's time here, you take away the COVID year where they went nine and one, almost made the playoff. Um, they instead coming in here under Jimbo, they have been seven and six, nine and four. Uh, or sorry, they've been nine and four, eight and five. They went nine and one in the COVID year and then eight and four again last year. They're a team we talk about every year. Everyone says they're a sneaky playoff contender, sneaky championship favorite. Uh, they haven't got it done with Jimbo yet. If he goes eight and four again, I wonder if the seat gets a little hot. Yeah. Uh, they do have six starters on offense coming back, five on defense. Again, um, they've got the number one recruiting class, but it's hard to plug freshmen in 
and expect a huge, huge difference, uh, especially in the SEC. So I know they're high on Haynes King uh, that came in um, is the quarterback, which he may not start week one. We'll see. Maybe he gets some action a little later on um, coming down, you know, coming on later in the season. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. They, they don't have an easy schedule like we've talked about. They get Appalachian State week two. We thought maybe that, that could be a sneaky upset pick. Uh, Miami week three, that could be a sneaky upset pick. And then they have Arkansas on a neutral field week four. So it's just, you go through it. Then they, and then after those, so after those three games, they go at Mississippi State, at Alabama. So <laughs> five game run there. It's really hard for me to believe they're going to go five and oh or four and one um, in that time frame. Yeah, and then to add to that, just right after Alabama, they got at South Carolina, who we talked about could be that spoiler role throughout the year. Max Johnson, uh, 35 touchdowns, seven picks in his career at LSU, which isn't bad. Number one recruiting class of all time. I think this kind of relates to the Miami team where Cristobal is a great recruiter, but they're freshmen now. Like, well, you got to see how they're going to – can you plug and play them right now? Can you put them in the starting role? I don't know if you can. I think Jimbo's just fucking himself every time he opens his mouth talking about other coaches. And again, uh, kind of, as you mentioned, BCB schedule doesn't do him any favors. Very, very tough throughout. Uh, I got the under on Texas A&M. I don't think they will be a contender in the West this year. Yeah. Not a whole lot to add there. Um, I agree completely. Like Kudos to them for having a good recruiting class. That class doesn't matter for until probably 2024, 2025. Um, Yeah, I mean, they have a fucking gauntlet of schedule. They get to play their first four weeks at home, but they probably lose two of those games. Either App State upsets them, Miami or Arkansas. They're going to get upset maybe in two out of three of those games. And then they go through a fucking absolute gauntlet at Mississippi State, at Alabama. Alabama is going to beat them by, I don't know, maybe five touchdowns. (laughs) October 8th, like maybe five. Like Jimbo Fincher, like, yeah, cool. You did it one year. Nick Saban does this every fucking year. You're not that guy. AM's not that school. That's just that's it. That's all I got. All right. Yeah, to to take a, a line here from uh the infamous Tate Martell, you better not swing and miss. So <laughs> good good luck to Jimbo. Um we I'll touch on one thing real quick too, because we you love Quinn Ewers. Um they have a kid on the roster, Connor Wigman. Uh, who's coming in as a true freshman. Texas A&M decided to not pursue Quinn Ewers in the transfer portal because they like Connor Wigman better. So maybe he's on the field at some point, too, at quarterback. We'll see. Um, if they start the season two and two, so they go Sam Houston, Appalachian State, Miami, and then Arkansas neutral field. If they start two and two, going to be really interesting to see what the mood is around that program. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Great. So let's move on here uh, to this will probably be pretty long winded, uh, but we will dig into the uh, Ole Miss Rebels as a team. I know a thing or two about a team that uh, I watch every Saturday and uh, it's going in. So this is also one of my biggest over bets. Um, 
seven and a half is their number here. They return five starters on offense, seven on defense. From a schedule standpoint, um, it's all about who you play and when you play them. I know we've said it, but they start. So they come in, they've got to replace Matt Corral. They've got to replace two wide receivers from last year. I uh, got to replace Sam Williams on defense. And, uh, you know, they've got definitely got some guys they got to replace. They're replacing the uh, the offensive coordinator as well. So Jeff Levy's off to Oklahoma. Uh, they've got Charlie Weiss Jr. coming in to be the uh, co-offensive coordinator here. And then DJ Durkin um, is off to be defensive coordinator at Texas A&M. So, uh, he was a co-defensive coordinator last year. They have Chris Patrick back um, to be a, a co-defensive coordinator again. So we'll see how it shakes out with the uh, the coordinators there. Um, I don't worry about a team that's coached by Lane Kiffin and their offense. So um, <laughs> at least on the offensive side of the ball, I know that they think they're about 10 or 11 deep on the defensive line, uh, which is something they haven't been able to say. Two main spots. Uh, they also think they're about nine or ten deep at wide receiver, too. Um, and this is a team that, for a couple of games last year, had a kid at wide receiver uh, who's now starting at quarterback. So, uh, starting at quarterback at UCF. So, they're in a better spot. They also add Zach Evans, who uh, some NFL scouts have called the best running back uh, in the SEC, um, watching people in practice. So, be really interesting to see what they do from the offensive side. Um, they do have Jackson Dart and Luke Altmyer in a QB battle right now. Up until about last week, it looked like Altmyer might be the starter. Apparently, Jackson Dart's taken a huge leap. Um, he's a kid that did have some starts last year. Um, started, I think, yeah, he had three starts at USC. So um, three starts at USC, played well, was a top recruit in his class. Apparently, a kid that can really sling it. Um, here's the thing about Ole Miss, why I'm on the over. They start the season with Troy. They play Central Arkansas. They go to Georgia Tech. Then they have Tulsa, Kentucky at home, and then at Vanderbilt. So this is a team that should be 6-0. and um, If you're betting 7.5, you've only got to find two wins over the last five games. I know it's hard to replace Matt Corral um, and some of the, the production that they lost. I will say this, they were number two in portal ratings, so they hit the portal up, uh, definitely beefed up on the defensive side of the ball, uh, recently added a, a, a frat superstar as a punter, uh, which will be interesting to see how that plays out. And But uh, so for the second half of the season, Matt Corral was injured. They were missing their top two wide receivers for most of the second half of last year as well, too. Uh, so they kind of played – uh, they played, they didn't have, they weren't up to hundred um, percent, didn't have uh, most of their first teamers out there, the guys that they, they would have liked to have had. And they still managed to find a way to win football games, uh, beating Texas A&M, beating LSU, uh, winning at Mississippi State. So there's a team that kind of figured it out. Now they're healthier. Um, also, Jackson Dart, if he gets six starts all of a sudden, the back end of the schedule, it looks kind of daunting. He's then all of a sudden then as a kid that has nine collegiate starts under his belt, probably improving better grasp of the offense. Uh, I think the arrows are pointing up here for Lane Kiffin um, in this iteration of, uh, of himself in kind of his second act as a head coach at uh, major college football. I think Ole Miss has a real big chance here. Um, they don't play Alabama till later in the season, and they play that game coming off a of bye. Um, November 12th so like I said if they're able to go 11 and 1 depending on what happens on the other side of the division they may be a team that's able to sneak into the playoff they also also I do have futures on this team to win the national title of 250 to 1 so Woofta. 
Kovta. All right. So I'll, I'll start. A uh, couple things about this team. I, I've been doing my research because BCB, obviously, I know you're going to be locked and loaded on them, know the ins and outs. From what I see, just from an outside perspective, man, I get to, I got to see the transfer portal every fucking year in college basketball by watching Fred Hoiberg bring in transfer you at Iowa State. I kind of see the same thing here with uh, Ole Miss. The, the, the one positive, I guess I'll say to start with, is, you know, like when you bring in Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, LeBron James on one team, if you could have started them with an easy schedule so they could learn how to vibe with each other, you know, get that role going, I think that benefits them. I could see them going six and one with a loss in Kentucky. You're going to beat Vanderbilt. You're going to beat Auburn. Let's talk about the negatives, though. Jackson Dart, I don't think is, is, is much special. Uh, he's definitely an above average quarterback. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's bad by any means. I think for what he's going to play in the sec West, he's got those, those first seven games, which are all winnable. The problem is in BCB, I don't want to, I like you. I like you BCB and I don't want to see you go through pain and I don't want to see you, especially if you got a big bet on the over here. The problem is, is if they go six and one or seven and zero to start, I think there's a very, very, there's a possibility, a much larger possibility that they could lose their last five games. You go at Death Valley, at Texas A&M, which they might have Digman by that point. Home against Alabama, we, we know what they're all about. You have to go at Arkansas, which will be playing for not really bowl game perspective. It could be in that, in that time frame, but, you know, trying for that successful season. And then you got the rivalry game to end the year. I think there's a chance that they could lose the last five games of the year. Realistically, though, they beat LSU. Then they beat Arkansas. I don't know about Mississippi State. Uh, more to come on that. But, yeah, I think they're going to be a, a, a very good team, well-coached. Uh, and I think the beginning of the schedule definitely benefits the team, especially with the amount of transfers that they have. But that last five games are an absolute brutal stretch. So we'll see what they're made of. If they can come out of that five-game stretch going four and one, yeah, I think you're right. There's a chance that we could see, I'm not going to say college football playoff, but New Year's six, uh, very high high bowl there. So that's my two cents on Mississippi. <laughs> as much as I fucking hate his bitch ass, I am in complete agreement with them. Oldness <laughs> probably goes seven and one through their first fucking eight weeks. And then they just fucking run into teams that matter and teams that are good. And then they fucking lose the rest of the games. So what I seven and four heading into the egg bowl. And then they just fucking lose the egg bowl because they won last year and they beat the shit out of Mississippi state and they're going to lose this year because that's just how fucking rivalry games go. So yeah, that's as much as I fucking hate them. I am on the same page as bumps a thousand percent here. So, all right, I'll throw one stat at you here real quick. So, <laughs> 2020. 2020 comes around, Ole Miss, the coverage bear, right? Like, team's not very good. They go, they have no fall camp. Or they have, I'm sorry, they have no spring ball. So there's no spring ball. They just start fall camp. COVID year, they start the season one and four. All right? They go one and four to start. Since that time, since the one and four start, 
They are now 14 and four in that time span. Uh, yeah, they've gone 14 and four. One of the losses was Alabama. They lost the two of the losses. The other two losses were games in which Matt Corral got carted off. So again, Lane Kiffin, if he, if they lose five games this year, he hasn't lost five games since he's really been able to put in his, his offense uh, and get his, his home team instilled here. They think this team's way more talented than any iteration of that they've had in either 2020 or 2021. Uh, they probably got three offensive linemen that are going to be in the NFL next year. And like I said, they've got a kid at defensive end named Jared Ivey, uh, would have been the best defensive player at Georgia Tech. He's a defensive end that's like 6'4", 275. Um, something crazy put on a bunch of weight at Georgia Tech hasn't played a lot um, but he's expected to have a huge impact here so best player nobody knows about again we'll see uh, Lane Kiffin doesn't really run the tightest of ships so if they don't get off to a hot start with the transfer portal we'll see how it shakes out um, again like I said they've got a pretty long runway to get it figured out they basically have an NFL preseason schedule right right, right. Uh, <laughs> getting four or five games together and then all they got to do is make sure Will Levis doesn't score like 28 points against him in Kentucky to win that game. So, again, all of a sudden, though, like if LSU falls apart, you know, that, that's another win right there. I, I'm not really too worried about the LSU game. Um, we'll see. The Len Kiffin, and it's like I said, his second act as a head coach here, uh, won two conference championships in three years at Florida Atlantic. And that was a school that hadn't really won a lot before he got there. Like I said, take the first five games out of it, 14 and four. Uh, and he hasn't even had a healthy quarterback for most of those. So also one Pac-12 defensive coordinator did say about Jackson Dart that he was trending to be the most talented guy in the league at the quarterback. Oh, position. my God. <laughs> okay. so, and there were people. For, 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 like, let's move on. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, but there were also people too that thought Jackson Dart should have been a five star. He just 2020 was his. Uh, oh my god! <laughs> There's we're we're heavy on the uh, the Dart train here. They also have Michael Trigg at tight end, uh, game changer. So, uh, but last but not least, is it still runs through the Alabama Crimson Tide. So all that talk about uh, Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss and all these other schools, I don't think really matters. Um, with Alabama, they bring back uh, they bring back Bryce Young. You've got five starters total back on offense, seven on defense. Um, the kids that they're losing, they're replacing with five stars, four stars, or very highly talented players from the transfer portal. Um, yeah, so yeah, Bryce Young back. They add Jameer Gibbs, uh, incredibly talented player from Georgia Tech at running back. Add Jermaine Burton, who was the best wide receiver from Georgia, and you've got they've got the uh, Mix of a team here to take another step forward uh, from a rebuilding year last year. Uh, this is the year they were building for. Going to be really tough to beat Alabama. I think the road rolls through them uh, all the way to Ohio State. Yep, couldn't agree more. Only loss I see on their schedule is at Texas or the neutral field. Uh, Texas back, but no, in all, in all actuality, I don't see them losing this year. Uh, put him in the playoffs. Will Anderson might be the defense first defensive player in a while to win the Heisman. Uh, solid team back and forth, special teams, defense, offense, head coach. So, yeah, I don't really see a flaw here and uh, Bama to sweep the season. 
Yeah, I mean, the only point here is we've already talked about it earlier. Like, Jimbo's fucking, hey, I got the best recruiting class ever, but, like, Nick Saban's done it every fucking year for the last decade. Like, what are we doing? Like, that recruiting class won't play for two more years, so Nick Saban still has the better guys. Like, yeah, that I mean – as a Patriots guy, as a Nick Saban guy, like uh, this, that's the class. Like, let's move on to the. Give me some G five. Give me some win totals. Like, let's get the fuck out of the SEC because Alabama owns it. So what we'll do is we'll actually put up. Uh, we'll have the win totals up on graphics. You've heard them throughout as we've talked about each conference. But we'll call out the ones that we do have money on on our graphic and make sure to share that with the crowd. The G5, though, I'm going to leave that to you, too. I'm going to take a step back. Any comments that you guys have on the G5 or any surprises that you see there, um, I'm, I'm willing to hear them right now. BCB, how are we feeling? What, what's right. right now? Like, how are we doing? I only right. care. I have, I, have, I have winners in three G5s. Sunbelt's my home division as a Coastal fan. I do like the AAC, and I also like uh, picking the action. I love action. Like, that's – Well, who's just, your winner, then? No, no, I mean, BCB knows – I, I will allow the guy who knows G5 better than any – like, I'll just let him let – him, I will let him – go and i i'll give my winners as we go all right we'll uh, we'll just go ahead and start with the Sun Belt thing because i really love a team out of the Sun Belt and bubs has touched on it so uh might not be your favorite team here but uh appalachian state so we'll we'll ride with the mountaineers uh they almost beat miami at miami last year chase bryce their quarterback clemson transfer 27 touchdowns one interception his one interception was tipped at the line in the Miami game. Miami housed it um, or either returned it to like the three and then it set up a touchdown. So they gave up seven there off kind of a fluky play. And then also later in the game, the long snapper for Appalachian State snapped it over the punter's head through the end zone for a safety. So gave up nine points there, lost by two. Um, Other than that, it was pretty smooth sailing. They lost to Louisiana twice. Uh, Don't have to worry about Billy Napier now. So he's out of there again. This is a team, if Cincinnati got into the playoff last year, Cincinnati got into the playoff last year with a weaker schedule than what uh, Appalachia State's going to play. If they can beat North Carolina, beat Texas A&M, obviously depends on what happens with the other P5 champs. But they've got a chance to sneak in here. They also bring back two all-conference running backs. Um, They have one of the top – they probably have a top 25 offensive line in the country – um, based on the guys they have. Defensive line, I'm a little worried about. They're a little small there, but they've got some dudes at linebacker, and they've got one of the best secondaries in the country. So I know their wide receiver core, they don't have much in terms of uh, production so far. Did read, though, the coach thinks they have a pretty good uh, blend of size and speed. So no, know they've got some guys. They've got a couple red zone threats that are 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and a couple speedsters. So Offensively, it'll be interesting to see what they look like. I know they change offensive coordinators. Um, Kevin Barbie comes over from Central Michigan. I watched from Central Michigan last year. 
they ran pretty similar offense to what Appalachian State did, so I don't think it's a huge change. Um, also, one thing, too, uh, I believe it was PFF had sent out a tweet naming the top five quarterbacks in G5. They didn't list my boy Chase Bryce. I said, sir, Chase Bryce would like a word. Chase Bryce liked the tweet, didn't tag him at all. So he's a guy that searches his own name on Twitter, I believe, has a little <laughs> spunk to him. I like it. All right, all right. Uh, Larry, we got something all that, but I I also did the research and like Cameron Peoples, their running back Nate Noel and Cameron's people and Chase Bryce like that's a very good fucking offense. It comes down to the matchup against them versus Coastal. They got Coastal last year because we had to come to App State. Coastal had to go to App State last year. The game this year is in fucking Myrtle Beach. It's in Conway. They got to come to the teal turf. Grace McCall is still way better than Chase Bryce. Is Chase Bryce is good, but, like, he, he's not Grace McCall. Um, and Coastal's turning over – a ton of people, but like the winner comes out of that game. That game, the winner of the Sun Belt Division comes out of that game, and it comes down to that. Uh, I mean, I don't have a ton on it. I mean, I could talk about Coastal if we need to go there and talk more about that. Coastal's losing almost everybody on offense and defense. They do have McCall is the main catalyst. Reese White is a stud running back that's coming back. We have two offensive linemen coming back. Our best defensive player, who had double-digit sacks last year, Josiah Stewart, absolute fucking stud from fucking Everett, Massachusetts. He had double-digit sacks last year. He's going to be even better. It's the only reason App State beat Coastal last year is because we had to go to App State. They have to come to the beach this year. The beach is just different. Like, we ain't in the mountains. Like, you know, come come play at the beach and you're going to lose. That, that's what it comes down to. Right? Coastal, McCall, like, we are going to win that division in the Sun Belt, the East, easily. So we got Appalachian State for BCB winning the Sun Belt, and Larry's got Coastal. What um, what other G- Coastal plus five hundred to win the Sun Belt. Got it. And I absolutely hammered the App State over on eight and a half wins. It's just really hard to find four losses on the schedule. For Even sure. if they lose North Carolina, Texas A and M, and Coastal Carolina, they still have to lose to a team that's way worse than they are. All right. All right. They- Way tougher schedule than Coastal. Uh, they do. They 100% do. Way harder. Yeah. All right. Yeah. What's our next uh, G5 we want to talk about here? Just want right. to uh, the time that we're at right now. We're at an hour and a half. But, uh, All right. You want, to do the, uh, you want to do the American real quick? You got yeah, it. American. American. I, I only got one play in American, but I did a lot of research on all of them. Yeah. Uh, basically oh. – American's a three-horse race. Um, you've got Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston. Um, 
going through there, I took the, the out of the three, I took the one with the longest price, uh, which would be UCF. So uh, they got Gus Malzahn. It's a team. If you go through and look at their roster, uh, it's it's a power five roster. Um, looking at the players that they have, they also have John Rice Plumley, a quarterback uh, who was a wide receiver for Ole Miss last year that transfers in, but did have some success early on in his Ole Miss career. Uh, I mean, they like there's if you follow power five football, that there's kids on this team that you're going to know that were really good players. You got Isaiah Bowser uh, coming in from Northwestern's their running back this year. Uh, Kobe Hudson transfers in from Auburn. He was the number one wide receiver at Auburn last year. They got Kamori Gamble uh, tied in from Florida, transferring in on the offensive line. They added some kids. Uh, they added a kid from Jacksonville State. And they have six kids on the offensive line who have been a full-time starter at some point. They got 132 career starts. Um, looking at the defensive line, they add transfers from Kentucky and Auburn. Um, and they returned their kid that was number two um, in sacks last year. So be interesting to see. They also have a linebacker who was the uh, number one linebacker in his recruiting class um, that transfers in here from Maryland. So we'll see. Uh, defensive back-wise, Phil Steele actually had him rated as the number eight secondary um, in the country. So Okay. Uh, I don't want to call BC, BCB out here, though. Bowser played for them last year. Bowser was a fucking excellent running back. I don't, I, it's Bowser's fucking excellent running back. Probably, I think he's from Tech or Virginia, but Bowser played for them last year, multiple games. And okay, he, yeah, he was in Northwestern before that. Yeah, fine. But like he played for them last year and he was excellent. Um, yeah, no issues there. I don't have much for UCF. I I will call BCB out there that he Bowser was their best running back last hey, year. Hey, hey. Um, Bowser was their best running back last year. Uh, the only team that matters there it's who's Houston, but I might be on the wrong division. That might be the other division. Houston's the only team that matters. It, it, it comes down to Tune and fucking Nathaniel Dell. Like, that's – it's the only team that matters. Cincinnati's good, but losing Sauce and losing Desmond Ritter, like, okay, I'm happy to take plus money on Tune being the best player in that division or in that conference. And fucking Nathaniel Dell. BCB sent it earlier on the best receivers or the best receiver seasons possible. And yeah. Dell was so fucking high that yeah. I was like, holy shit, that kid's fucking good. And he's still getting his quarterback back. And they're plus money. They're like high plus money to win the fucking – AAC. I dig it. Yeah, I don't hate it. Yeah, they also uh, – so Houston doesn't have to play UCF or Cincinnati. So they do that both of those, and they get Tank Bell back – or yeah, like you said, Tank Dell, uh, Clayton Toon comes back. They only return two two starters on the offensive line. Um, so – but, again, they, they dodge some bullets there. So Sure. What do we got next? 
All right, I've got a long shot in the action, so you can go ahead and present yours, Larry, if you want, and then I'll give you a rundown here of uh, one of my longest bets. I'm excited for your long shot. I, I, I feel like my play is not a long shot, and I don't understand. They're the, they are the defending champs. It's NIU. Like, NIU is plus 600 to win fucking action, and I, I mean, I guess I get it. Like, n- no team has ever defended a title in action ever. But, like, this team's returning all of their starters, and they're plus fucking 600. NIU, and I, I watched them closely because they lost the Coastal, Coastal and the Cure Bowl last year in fucking Orlando. Coastal beat them like at the buzzer it was actually fucking it wasn't a clean win it was fucking it was fucking and not like it's actually not even considered a win because like the fucking whistle blown too quickly or the rest didn't figure it out in the curveball but uh the the fact that the defending champ is plus 600, I'm going to take them. And they're returning all of their players. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me why they're plus 600. I guess that that's all I have in action. Yeah. I love, I love, I want it all. Like, give me all of action. And I can't wait to hear your, the long shot here. All right. Well, so we're shouting out hard schedules, easy schedules. Shout out Kent State Golden Flashes, uh, who start their season at Washington. And then they go to Oklahoma the next week. And then they play the Long Island Sharks at home week three. But then they follow that up by going to Georgia week four. So <laughs> that's a team that's going to be up against three teams that are much more physical than they are to start the season. They're one of the favorites in the MAC East. Um, I think it's really hard to to survive that schedule, which is why I'm going with uh, the Bowling Green Falcons here at 45 oh. to one. To no. So 11 of the last 16 years, the MAC championship has had at least one team in it. Um, has, that's had at least one team in it that had multiple losses in the conference. Bowling Green brings back nine starters on offense, nine on defense. Going into last year, we talked about career starts a lot for O-lines. They had four career starts on their offensive line to start the season last year. Uh, They had to convert a defensive tackle to left tackle to play for them last year on the offensive line. They still played well against Tennessee (laughs) in week one. Beat Minnesota. Who did they upset last year? They beat Minnesota. Yikes. <laughs> they beat Minnesota. All right, so going back, uh, I would have to pull the stat up. I had it written down. But if you go back like three years, they've been underdog. Uh, they've been double-digit underdogs in like 22 of the 25 games. Uh, they they also were 4-8 and eight last year despite only being favored in one game by 14. They lost that game. So they're kind of all over the place. You've got Scott Leffler in his uh, fourth year. They did, though, to build on the offensive line. So they go from four career starts to 74. So they hit the portal up. 
uh, got some starters, got a kid from Jackson State and some other P5 transfers. Um, they do have Matt McDonald back, senior quarterback. He's been there for a while now, um, kind of a steadying force. So all of a sudden, it's not – they don't have the hardest schedule in the world. Um, out of conference, they do play at UCLA and at Mississippi State. But, yeah, I don't know. I just think – I think their over-under was like four, uh, four, four and a half for win totals. It's not crazy that this team – I just thought this division was so bad. Uh, and this team's so much more improved than what they were. They were somehow winning games when they weren't any good. So, uh, now you, you come in here where if they're going to ever do anything under this coach, it's going to be this year. You're giving me 45 to one. If they make the camp, the, the conference, if they make the conference championship game, I'm going to be able to hedge off for a lot of money anyway. There you go. I don't, I mean, I don't at all. I mean, Bowling Green is somewhat a year ago, two years ago, they were the worst team in America and they still upset good teams so like those guys are still there they have a chip on their shoulder they're gonna win games it's, it's not that hard we'll see what happens um any picks from the last two g5 conferences uh, before we move to college football playoff yeah i'll just go uh so see or sorry in the mountain west fresno state um jay Kaner, you've got jeff tedford coming back uh, they've got some dudes at Fresno State and uh, got the best quarterback in the conference. He was going to go to Washington, decided to stay when Tedford came back. So Fresno State um, is who I like there. Okay. No play. And then CUSA, I am on the UTSA Roadrunners to repeat there. Yeah. Um, they've got a head coach uh, who is well-connected in the Texas high school circuit, apparently. And I guess uh, he's been known to get some some tips from some coaches here. So when they recruit their own kids, he gets some kids that kind of fall through the cracks from the bigger Texas schools. They also return their uh, they also return their number one um, the quarterback from last year, Frank Harris, who was probably the best quarterback in the conference. And they add Traylon Smith from uh, Arkansas as a running back, and they also added one of the top JUCO players uh, running back as well. So. Kind of stacked across the board. They've got power conference talent. You got P5 talent like they did last year. They were a top 25 team most of last year. Uh, also, they kind of modeled their secondary uh, a little bit after the Legion of Boom, where they've got some quarterbacks that are like 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, so right. they got some dudes on defense. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if they upset Texas week three, but, but I'm taking them at like plus 210 to, uh, to win this thing. All right, cool. Yo, Bubs, why didn't we have this guy last season? What are you doing? Well, BCB joined Bookie's Basement middle of the summer, late May, I think, early April. I need that intel. I need who's power bombing who through the fucking tables. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's wrap this up here again. A nice long podcast for you guys. Part two, ACC. Bubs, ACC no. Well, let me finish here. Uh, we'll finish up with just our Heisman and our college football playoff picks. So Heisman picks, uh, let's hear them. What do you guys got? I only have two on my end, but uh, I'll defer to you guys to kick us off. I only have two also. I, I'm going both running backs. I'm going Trevion Henderson at plus 
3,500. And then I'm also going by John Robinson. John, yeah. But John Robinson. And that's, that's only plus 2,200. Um, those are my, those are my two plays. Um, it's really hard as to not be a quarterback and win a Heisman, which is fair. And it's also really hard as a receiver. Devonta Smith was the anomaly and BCB actually shared some stats. Like it's that fucking hard to be a receiver and get to that level of Devonta Smith. But I think running backs, I think a running back could break through this year. And I don't think it's that out of reasonability. So, yeah, Trevion, Trevion Edison's my guy. That, that's right. my BCB. Yeah, so uh, number one, the one I got on the earliest in the offseason was Jackson Smith and Jigba. He's way down from where I had bet him at. So, um, I had numbers starting as high as 90 to one. He's down to 25 to one um, on DraftKings. So most of my actions are around 50 to one. If you can still get that number, I think that's worth a play. Like I said, he's going to be the best offensive player on what I think is the best team um, yeah. in the country. So that's usually a pretty good recipe uh, for, for Heisman success, best player um, on the best team. Yep. Maybe he gets overshadowed by CJ Stroud. Another, another thing, like you said, um, you basically you've got to be a quarterback on a top 10 team to win the Heisman or a playoff team um, today's day and age. So price shopping, like I said, it's a long shot, um, but this is a Heisman, like the Heisman's one where you can get some wild prices on some guys um, that develop like Johnny Manziel or Lamar Jackson or some of these dudes before they become household names. Uh, Blake Shapin, quarterback from Baylor. Um, like I said, he went for 17 completions in a row in the Big 12. They think this guy actually moves the offense up from one of the best teams they've had in school history. Um, I like the weapons that they've got around him. I think they're a little better and he gets credit for it. And apparently no one knows who he is. So uh, you're getting 150 to one on it. I have spent money on way dumber shit than betting at 150 to one. Um, like I said, dual threat quarterback on a playoff team. I think Baylor wins the, the big 12, possibly makes the playoff. If that happens and he stays healthy and you're sitting at like, 3,800 passing yards and, you know, 700, rushing yards, he's going to be in the mix. For sure. Uh, I got just two plays on my side. I'm going both quarterbacks. Number one, Quinn Ewers hasn't taken a snap in FBS. Uh, I think just with that being said and him being the number two recruit of all time, I think the value's there at 40 to one, 45 to one, depending on where you look and where you get it. I think if he can take Texas to a big 12 championship, with a one loss to Alabama, I think they uh, as well could be uh, a playoff team. So I think you got the win-win there. Other one I have is Cam Rising, Utah quarterback. I think them, I, I think they fairly certain win the Pac-12. And this is a year that where the Pac-12 gets some love in the college football playoff. So again, I'm going teams that I see foresee in the playoff and the quarterback that leads them there leading uh, – Leading the Heisman charge, you can get Cam Rising at 80 to 1 right now as we speak. Finishing up here, folks. Again, we'll have all these things on a graphic. We have a nice little interview here afterwards. Larry, we'll start with you. 
Let's hear your what? football playoff predictions. We're going straight playoff. Correct. Yep. Good. I have some futures. You want air? Well, yeah, we're going to put those on the graphic to get those out because we kind of talked a little bit about each conference, each fine. team. Yeah, fine. I probably already talked about them. So I'm going four to one, four to one right here. I already fucking hate my number four seat. It's because of BCB. It's, it's his problem that I have Texas at number four. All right. Texas at number four. One loss, Texas wins the fucking Big 12 championship. All right. Number three is Clemson. Clemson doesn't lose a game. Clemson goes back to form. As much as Bubs likes to hate on them, Clemson's still the class of the ACC. They don't lose games. They're going to be mad. They're going to be mad at what happened last year, and they only lost one game last year. So Clemson's back at number three. Mm -hmm. Number two is Alabama. Alabama, they're just a class of league. They are who they are. And number one is Ohio State. Ohio State is one. Bama's two. Clemson's three. Texas is four. So then break it down. Who do you got in the championship and who do you got as a winner? Ohio State beats the shit out of Texas in the first round. Bama beats the shit out of Clemson. And then it goes it, – It. everybody knows ultimately it comes down to fucking Ohio State versus Alabama. One versus number two, and Ohio State beats Alabama. Ohio State is the national champions. That, 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 that's all I got. All right, BCB. All right, so number one, Alabama. Number two, Ohio State. I don't think I'm saying anything groundbreaking there. Um, three, I'm going to go with Baylor. Like I said, I think they're going to be a very tough team. One loss, one loss, Baylor gets them into the playoff. The fourth team, you could give me like 12 different teams. <laughs> you could, like I said, I made a case for Arkansas, Ole Miss, Appalachian State, um, you know, Georgia even to an extent. So, uh, fourth team, I'm going to go ahead. I've changed this. I've been on Utah. I've been on, you know, USC could be in there as well, too. Um, we'll go ahead and say fourth team. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and put Utah in there. Um, that They might be out of it by week one, depending on what happens in that Florida game. But, again, I, I like them. Uh, so, We'll we'll see a little uh, a little return. Actually, I, I think it'll return a little bit to normal. Like I said, this is kind of the way it was designed, right? You get conference champions uh, yeah. from these power conferences. So that's the playoff I'd like to see. And in a perfect world, it convinces everyone to keep the playoff at four. But that's a talk for another time. So um, I'll say that plays out this. So uh, Alabama, Ohio State national title. Uh, they are going to walk through the two playoff games. We get the heavyweight matchup everybody wants between Alabama, Ohio State. Um, if both teams are healthy, I'm going to have to go ahead and I'm going to pick Ohio State um, to win that game. Reason being, like I said, it's just uh, it's a better value on the futures market right now. So, honestly, that game would, I think, come down to whoever's a healthier team um, in that point. But national champion, I'll go with Ohio State this year. All right, uh, so I have one Bama, two Ohio State, 
Three, I have Utah because I see them not losing throughout the year. Uh, and I think they overtake number four, Texas, winning the Big 12 with potentially that one loss and maybe even one loss in the season. But I think the Big 12 actual conference championship projects them into that four spot. I think the ACC is going to beat up on each other too much for them to have any representation in the college football playoff. But that being said, uh, one Bama against four Utah. Obviously, we got Bama there. Two Ohio State, three Texas. And a much closer game than expected. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say Texas beats Ohio State. I think Bajan Robinson against that run defense on Ohio State exposes a little bit, controls the clock. Comes down to Alabama, Texas, rematch from beginning of the year. Alabama wins, Alabama national champion. All right, folks, again, two hours strong, uh, a little bit over two hours. We do have one great interview that we want to share with you with Dean Blandino, former head NFL officiating, now head of NFL officiating at the XFL, number of other projects he's involved with. Folks, we'll get out the graphics. We want you to win money. We'll be tracking uh, win losses throughout the year. Definitely have some side bets throughout. Appreciate your time, folks. Enjoy the interview. Let's win some fucking cash. So I was kind of curious too, um, looking into it. I'm sure you've been in on these conversations every year when they do the rules changes where we go in and we add rules or we kind of tweak yeah. the rules that are in place. Um, I'm curious what, like what kind of determines what the emphasis gets put on. Like, for example, this year in college football, they changed the defensive holding rule to where now any defensive holding results in 10 yard penalty and a first down. So if uh, even on like a fourth and 40, if it's a punt return, a guy can get uh, called for defensive holding on the gunner and that's going to result in an automatic first down. So it doesn't seem like anybody thinks those kind of rules changes are good or make the game more clear. So I was just kind of curious, like what, who makes that call and, and what goes into that? Yeah. And, then, and it's a good point. And, and so it comes from different, different places. There's, there's coaches can submit potential rules changes or, um, there's a rules committee in college. There's a rules committee and a competition committee. Um, they meet in the off season at the end of February, early March in the NFL, there's a competition committee and, and both all of those committees are made up of coaches um, on the college side. It could be administrators like athletic directors um, could be, could be other people involved in, in the sport and they get together and they look through a ton of film and they look for trends, especially as it relates to, health and safety. So if there is something that's happening um, that, you know, a lot of, a lot of the emphasis in college the last couple of recent years has been the blocks below the waist and that rule and how that, how that impacts, you know, whether it's offensive linemen making blocks or, or defensive players going low to try to get through the blocker. Um, so it's a, it's an exhaustive process and a lot of tape. And, uh, and so, but it comes from, it comes from different places, but like that defensive holding rule, um, to be an automatic first down, that was really to simplify it because there was a couple of different possibilities. If it was a running play, it wasn't an automatic first down. If it was a passing play, the pass had to cross the line of scrimmage for it to be an automatic first down. And there is, you know, as part of like the play you mentioned with the punts, they did put in understanding that, that on a fourth and 30, um, that hold on the gunner, they, they, there's, there's something called post scrimmage kick enforcement that prevents that from being an automatic first. So it's almost treated like 
the 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 return team already had possession. So so, but all of those things, they're great questions because those are things you have to think about when you're putting in those rules changes because you want to avoid like the unintended consequences that you want to fix one thing, but then you create seven other problems. And that's something that that they're always aware of. So I'm going to hop in my, my uh, our co-host Larry just joined as well. Um, you, you, hey, Dean, how's it going? Good, good. How are you? Good. I was going to save this question for last, but I think since we're on the topic, you know, last last year, uh, towards the end of the year, we came up with the Kenny Pickett rule when he yeah. did the whole shimmy shake right before he went down. So I guess my question is, is can you uh, apparently I guess I know the answer now is that you can implement a, a rule mid year and what sort of who gets together to decide like Kenny that was a little wild of you. We gotta we gotta put a stop to that real quick before things get too crazy. Yeah, it's unusual for something like that. And and I think the way they they put that in, it was it was looked at as a as a as health and safety issue that okay. that when the player, you know, because in that instance, and, and you know, and having listened to you know Kenny Pickett's version of it, it wasn't like he was running and he and he. And he, he thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to fake a slide. It was like in the moment he thought about it and then yeah. saw an opening and obviously the defense reacted <laughs> and, and he went for a touchdown. And obviously that's a big play in the ACC championship game. Um, but the thing is with that, that's something when it's health and safety and, and they're concerned about, well, now other players are going to mimic that. Maybe they fake a slide and the defense hits them. Um, they can make those types of clarifications mid-year. You don't see it very often. And then in the offseason, they put the language in the book to say that anytime a player simulates a slide or fakes a slide, yeah. the officials are to kill the play, uh, blow the whistles, and make sure that, that that doesn't happen again. But it's unusual to do something midseason like that. Gotcha. Larry, what do you got? Uh, not sure if we went into your background at all, but just kind of interested. How does a, a kid that went to high school in Long Island and went to college, like close, <laughs> close to where you grew up, um, like, I, was your pride always officiating, or were you a football player growing up? Yeah, and we, we talked about it, but I'll give you kind of the, 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 the cliff, note, cliff note version. It's, you know, I played football. I love sports. Growing up in Long Island, New York, um, went to school in New York. All the major sports organizations have, have uh, offices in New York City. Sent my resume to all of them. NFL called, had an internship in a couple of places. If interviewed got the one in officiating and and that's how it started it was just you know I wanted to be involved in sports and I was like I don't care if it's officiating or public relations or you know cleaning up the office I just want to be a part of the NFL and that's kind of what what happened yeah I mean that's all of our dreams I mean that was always my dream as long as you're close to the game yeah um another another kind of career question what, what's been your favorite role so far in your career? Like, what have you enjoyed the most? Has it been like NFL, college, uh, XFL, or like kind of like what role have you enjoyed the most? And like, what, what do you have the most fun doing? Yeah, I think um, it's funny. The role I, I've enjoyed the most has been um, things like the XFL because it's, um, it's kind of been a blank slate where you can you can kind of come up with new and cool ways, especially with rules and officiating that that aren't always seen in a positive light. And you can you can do some things and be innovative and uh, and kind of 
pull the curtain back and let people see behind the scenes. Um, so, so that's been really fun. And, and in all of the roles that I've done, the thing that I love the most is, is talking to coaches and people about the rules and explaining it and, and, and having those conversations with, you know, with the competition committee and talking about why a rule might be a good idea or maybe some of the concerns about it. And that, that was probably my favorite thing to do with the NFL was talking to coaches and answering questions and, and I, and I get to do all of that with my role with, with the XFL and, and uh, talk to coaches and put together, you know, the rule book and, and all that stuff. So I really, really enjoy that. And uh, there's things that I've, I've liked about all of my roles, but because it's, you're dealing with the game and, and that's at the end of the day, like, yeah, it's, there, there are things that you don't like about any job, but, but for me, it's like, okay, I've worked in football. I'm pretty damn lucky. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, to kind of build on that too. So one thing I loved with the XFL was the transparency you guys had uh, when there was a challenge or something was being reviewed and you could listen to the refs uh, go in and kind of break down the film, uh, explain what they're looking at and what they see and, and talk about the call change in real time. You think that's that level of transparency, something we'll see brought to the college game um, on Saturdays or the NFL game on Sundays? Because with the rise of gambling, it seems like <laughs> there's a huge outcry um, on Monday morning or, you know, or I guess real time on Twitter now, um, when calls don't go their way. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's something that has been talked about certainly at the NCAA level and the NFL. I think the concern with, with, with the NFL and the NCAA is like you said, gambling and, and just what are like, it's great when everything works and, and, and everything's right. And the process goes well, but what happens when it doesn't go well, what happens when somebody makes a mistake um, you know, and now you're putting that out front and center, um, doesn't happen very often, but that's always been the fear. You know, for me, I, 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 the transparency, like you said, there's so many people that have these conspiracy theories about, about officials and, and well, that call and that, that official favors, you know, Alabama, or they favor Clemson or whoever it is. And when you can just show the process and just, there's nothing, no secrets, nothing to hide. Uh, people go, okay, you know, I saw it. I saw what they said. I saw why they made the decision. I may not always agree with it, but it's hard to watch it and say, you know, there was something shady going on. And especially with gambling now and, and, and all of that, it's going to be really important that, you know, the leagues, the college, the, you know, the NCAA um, ensure that, that people are confident in, in officiating and, and the game being called fairly. So Dean, um, I've, I've done my research on you. I think I, I think I have a good, good background. Obviously, there's, there's a lot more to you. I get that. Does the date January 11th, 2015 stick out to you at all by chance? <laughs> yeah, it sure does. And I get reminded of it um, on Twitter probably, probably once a day. Um, you know, it's funny. So, you know, and I remember, I remember that day and that moment so clearly and being in uh, what we call Art McNally Game Day Central and Art was just inducted into the Hall of Fame, the yep, first official yep. um, into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And we have obviously our command centers named after him and, you know, in there for that game and it's a great game and it's Packers and Cowboys and Lambeau Field. And, and you know, I just, I remember it so clearly it's fourth and two and, yeah. and, you know, I'm thinking, okay, you know, you know, hand the ball off. Let's get the first down. Let's see. <laughs> and Romo drops back. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. And, and as soon as it happened, like I knew because I, I, I saw the ball 
kind of bounce up and Des makes a great, like it was just an unbelievably athletic play. Yeah. And it's obviously a big play. The Cowboys are going to get the ball for, you know, first and goal. And, I, but I, I saw the ball pop out and, and I'm watching the sideline and I'm almost like hoping that McCarthy doesn't challenge. Cause I know it's going <laughs> right. to be, I know it's going to be controversial either way. Like yeah. it's just, it's one of those plays that it's going to, doesn't matter. Yeah. Whatever happens, it's going to be controversial. And he throws the flag. And I remember, and, and we've got a room of people, we've got support staff, IT, uh, people that are in the room, uh, people that assist me. And I remember I've got the headset kind of around my neck and I, and I look up as the flag comes out and I go, just get ready because the SHIT is about to hit the fan because, because right. I knew, and then, you know, we, we went through the call and the rule at the time, it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't, I've had way more difficult calls in my, in my career, yeah. um, you know, and we, we overturned it and, uh, and obviously it was a big call because, you know, you go from first and goal inside the five to now Green Bay has the ball and Green Bay goes on to win and, and the Cowboy fans, you know, have hated me ever <laughs> since. So. <laughs> well, you mean, if you look back like a week before that game, we did get a favorable call against uh, the Lions. I think it yeah, was two, those were two weeks, two yeah. weeks that, Fan bases will never, ever, I've, <laughs> in a span of, of seven days in, right, in my right. life, which is, which is incredible. So, I mean, and just one more, just to add to that real quick. So I'm a coach. I throw the challenge flag. What does that look like in the command center? Do, are people yeah. just scrambling? Are they going crazy? Like what? It's, you know, it's, it's, it's controlled, you know, it's not that chaotic. Um, you've got, you know, for that game, it was only the only game going on, right? It was the playoffs right. one game at a time. So that is really, you don't have all of the chaos you might have with 10 games in the early window on Sunday. So, right. so when that's happening, you might have more, more things happening at once, but you have one person that's dedicated to that game. That's watching it. That's I'm in the room, you know, there, you know, currently you've got two or three people that might be making decisions in that room. Um, they're, they're monitoring, you know, all of the games, but you have one person dedicated and they're going to call things out. Hey, we got a close catch in green Bay, or we've got a fumble in, 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 uh, you know, in Minnesota. And then you can go over and look at, and we're getting the angles in, in the command center, um, in real time. And you can start to look at it and kind of formulate your opinion, even before the coach challenges, uh, or before the, the, the game is stopped for review. So, um, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty cool process and, and everybody kind of has a job to do. And, and that was one, like I said, I'll always remember that moment and, and how that all played out. It was definitely, and then, and then I, I had to tweet out a quick explanation and that just went, I mean, I think it had like, it had like 10,000 retweets in the first five minutes. It was, yeah. yeah. Hey, you went viral. That's, that's, yep. that's what's up. Uh, BCB Lair, what do you got? Uh, just, I mean, just an appreciation for like officials and what you do. I think football has got to be by far the toughest sport to officiate. There's no, like other sports, you can automate things. Football, you just, there's no chance you can automate much. Like there's talk about put a chip, a chip in the ball or a camera down the goal angle. Um, I, I by far think football officiating is the hardest, but I also think it's the best like uh, a Saturday of college football, like there's just so many games on. There's so many officials. It's, it's just awesome. Uh, I appreciate it. I feel like 
you and Mike Pereira and uh, when you guys come on TV and explain something like you're always going to get hated by the opposing fan base. But uh, I mean, as a, as a, a gambler and like appreciating the sport, like I think it's awesome. I, are, are there things you think that could be automated in football or things that you would like to see automated? Well, yeah, I think you, you know, as technology continues to evolve, you, you want to look at ways to help the officials. You never, you're never going to, you know, you think about like in baseball that they, they talk about the, the, you know, the electronic strike zone and things right. like that. I don't think, you know, I don't think those things are necessarily great. Um, and, and you'd mentioned the chip in the ball and we've talked about this for years. Um, you know, you could put, there are chips in the football and they track things like distance and, and speed. And that's used for like the next gen stats. And, but it's not as easy as say in soccer where the ball crossing the line, it's, it's when did the ball cross the line? Was the knee down, you know, was the player out of bounds? So it's not as simple as just knowing where the ball is. And that's where it gets complicated. And that's why you need the officials. And it's good to hear, you know, that you have, you know, you guys have an appreciation because what, what the technology and what replay really shows is how good the officials are in real time. And, and they make mistakes. I mean, there's no question. And, but when, when we get to see it, like our job's easy because we get to see it after the fact from like super slow motion and we get to say, oh yeah, that's a catch, but they get to look at it once from their perspective and that's it. And they got to make a call and, uh, you know, and, and they're like, you know, 95% of the time they're right. And, and we only focus on the 5% where they're wrong. Uh, but that's, you know, that's the business. And I think officials understand that and, and they love it regardless because it's a challenge and, uh, and, you know, and it's just, um, it's a necessary part, you know, there, you can't have games without, without officials, it's just practice. And that's, um, you know, when people just kind of have to remember that and, you know, you just hope that they, cause you know, cause we do have a shortage of officials at the, you know, at the youth level and, and, you know, you get a lot of high school games and junior and, and junior high games that get canceled because younger people don't want to officiate because they have bad experiences and, and, you know, they get, you know, verbally abused, sometimes physically assaulted. And, uh, I think we have, and especially, I know we work with our announcers on Fox sports to just be mindful of how you talk about the officials like disagree all you want right but if you say it in a disrespectful or mean-spirited way people are watching and then they mimic that at their kids game and that's that that's where it becomes a problem sure uh bcb i got two wrap-up questions unless you had anything else on your side uh, I was actually to clarify when I was going through uh, reading about rule changes for college football, uh, I saw. So this year, is it still or did it get tweaked? Are they going to have a rule where if a, a receiver catches the ball in the end zone, but then it's ruled that the defender's momentum pushed him out of bounds? If he doesn't, he doesn't get any feet out. It's a touchdown. Is that is that how they're going to officiate that? No, it would have to be. It would have to be basically like a carry out. So you'd have to you'd have to catch the receiver and carry him out of bounds for that to be a catch. So if you just force him out, that that's that's not a catch. You got to get a body part down in bounds. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Bub's here. He, luckily, he's an Iowa fan, so it probably won't affect him too much on Saturdays, but uh, I don't think he can handle <laughs> We are We are QB sneak you and run between the tackles. But yeah. I'll tell you what, those chop blocks, Kirk Ferentz hates chop blocks. Like, yeah, Coach Ferentz. 
Yeah, Coach Ferentz was, yeah, he's he's pretty good with the rules. And, and we, you know, we met as part of my role with the NCAA and I, I work with the Big Ten officials and we met with all the Big Ten coaches and had some yeah. good discussions. And that room is fun. When you get like Coach Ferentz and you get Scott Frost and Jim Harbaugh <laughs> and Ryan Day and all those guys in a room, like it's, it's a lot of fun watching them interact and 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 talk about plays and and oh yeah it's, it's a lot of fun yeah i've uh, i've deemed the chop block rule the uh, military academies rule so you can oh, no question <laughs> service academies it's funny because it was changed that low block rule was changed you get teams like the service academies or georgia tech or some of these teams that run that type of offense they they complain that they're never going to be able to do it yeah. And they figure out a way. They, they always figure out a way. So one of my wrap-up questions, and then I'll turn it over to you two if you have any others, is right off the bat is that I think Ed Hockley has a couple years on you. Who do you think – I mean, you guys – you put each other in a Planet Fitness or in a gym. Who's benching <laughs> more right off the bat? You seem like a pretty fit guy, Ed Hockley, obviously, as we know. Who, who's putting up more reps or who's maxing out more? I think Ed's probably still maxing out more because I've, I've transitioned more as I've gotten older to more just like body weight exercises okay. and a little more yoga and a little more of that. And, and so especially during COVID and working out from home and doing the, the exercise bands. So I don't know yeah. if Ed is, maybe Ed is, is, since he's not on TV every weekend, maybe he's <laughs> kind of toned down the, 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 the maxing out. Maybe he's not benching 350 anymore, but I don't know. I, I'd still, he probably still max out. A little higher. <laughs> all right. All right. BCB Lair, any final questions? All right. So uh, I'll give you one here. My favorite bet every year is uh, betting, betting futures on the Heisman trophy. So you got a Heisman trophy pick for this year. Oh man, that's a good question. You know, I don't, I don't know, you know, I mean, you still, it's Bryce Young, those guys, the kid in at Ohio state, I mean, they're still, um, they still gotta be front runners. I, I don't even know at this point. I haven't even thought about it, but um, maybe there's a, does Iowa have a sleeper? Does Iowa no, have a sleeper? No, we don't. Heisman? No, we don't. <laughs> some, some freshmen that, we, that I don't know about yet. That... <laughs> maybe, maybe sometime. Um, I like Texas has a quarterback, Quinn Ewers. He's a freshman, never played a snap. But uh, that actually before Lair, before you asked your final question, you, you made me think of something BCB. Working in the position that you do, can you, you know how Herb Street, when he's on game day, he goes, well, I can't comment on this game. I'm actually doing the, you know, the broadcasting. Can you, can you talk about like, Hey, you know, I'm a big, uh, Hofstra really, I don't think has, um, we used to, we, we okay. We, okay. They, okay. They got rid of the football program in the probably about 15 years ago. But can you, as a, you know, a TV personality, can you, and especially on the officiating side of things, can you kind of go out there and say like, Hey, I'm a big, Cowboys fan or I'm a big yeah yeah it's a good question I mean once you get into the officiating world like I grew up in New York I grew up a Giants fan um you know my dad was a Giants fan and but then once you get into officiating it's funny it doesn't it's not like you you oh I can't root for them anymore yeah. it's just you stop looking at the game that way Got and it. you're just thinking about the officials and getting the call right. And that's what the officials look, you know, cause they're getting evaluated. And I know when I was in charge of the officiating department, it's like, if these officials, if they miss a 
ton of calls. It's my job on the line. So, so you, you have less of a team affiliate affiliation on the TV side. It's not as, it's not as strict. It's not as seen as, as much of a, of a conflict of interest as it does when you're in the officiating world, but yeah. still I mean, there's a professionalism in terms of, Hey, if, you know, if Kirk Herbstreit, you know, he went to Ohio state and, and he's doing an Ohio state game. Right. You want to maintain that kind of partiality. Um, and, and for me, I don't speak enough on the broadcast to even, you know, have a chance to talk about that. You know, I'm just kind of focusing on the, on the officiating part of it, but it is, you know, for most of the, the on-air talent and the play-by-play, you know, they want to maintain that, that, that professionalism and, and keep, you know, and keep the, the, the affiliation from the school or in the NFL, a team out of it. Got it. Lair, what's your, uh, what's your wrap up question? Uh, last thing for me is uh, I'm just curious of how much we'll get to see you on Saturday or you got, you got a full slate this season. You, yeah. You... Yeah. We've got a full slate on Fox. Um, you know, we'll go, I usually split the, the Saturday schedule with, with Mike Pereira. Um, you know, he usually does the earlier games. I do the later games. Um, you know, I get a lot of that and I love, I love doing the BTN games. Um, I love all of that. So yeah, you'll see a lot of us on Saturday and I love, uh, you know, I love college football. Um, you know, having spent so much time in the NFL college football, it's just a different vibe and it's, um, it's less kind of corporate and less kind of, it's just, it's more fun to me. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited some long days because we got, you know, we start at 9am on the West coast. Um, and we'll go sometimes till midnight because we'll get like a late Pac-12 game or a late Mountain West game. So we're doing like Boise, Utah State at, at 11.30 on uh, Pacific time. And so, uh, but, you know, we, we always have fun with it. Got it. Well, Dean, uh, last question I have, and then we'll let you go here. Thank you so much for your time and, you know, yeah. taking your time out to speak with us. I scoured the internet. I looked everywhere and anywhere. I can't find your no, stand-up routine. You can't. You can't because... When I did stand up, it wasn't the internet was kind of just really getting going. Okay. So, so I've got some like old DVDs of, of, of my stand up that you know I've had friends be like, "Hey, hey, let me like digitize that." I'm like, absolutely, absolutely not. Um, you know, it was just, and I, I mean, I, I did that when I was living in New York City. Um, and I just had a friend that was doing it and thought I might be good at it. And I just tried it and really liked it. Um, yeah. but I knew it wasn't something that I, I was, my career at the NFL was progressing. I knew I didn't want, want to do that as a career. Uh, but I just loved it. And it actually really helped me in, in, you know, public speaking and speaking in front of people yep. going on TV, uh, because it's really intimidating, you know, to be able to just go up in front of a group of strangers, you know, with a microphone and they're like, you know, and it's not like you're doing it in front of 10,000 people where, you know, you can get half of them to laugh and it sounds, it's like, okay, 20 people. And when right. no one laughs in a room full of 20 people, <laughs> that's the worst. It's the absolute worst. And you just want to like, okay, bye. I'm out of here. <laughs> All right. Well, Dean, you can catch him on Saturdays catching or covering, you know, college football, head of officiating at the XFL. Yeah, HerTurf.com. I watched the trailer. Looked really good. I'm actually going to check that out tonight. Dean Blandino, thank you so much for taking the time. Really do appreciate you. Thanks a lot, guys.